Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We're the only country that comes up with a name for fun. Crack. It's blackguarding. It's scutting. It's no harm. 55 euros straight out of my account. But they have my money and I have no test. Bad time for all these people. And it's always a good-hearted person to change them. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 PJ Coogan Fox 96 FM Good morning It is gorgeous out there It was up early again this morning As always And I just thought This is not what the weather forecasters Were telling us last night It's so hard at the moment To make a prediction But it's a beautiful morning out there And it doesn't look like it's going to change Anytime soon It's not as warm As you'd like to be For the 4th of July But it's nice. Did I say, did I say 4th of July? Did I just say it was the 4th of July? Yes, happy 4th of July to all of our American listeners, both at home and in the United States of America. Although, looking at the states from outside these days, if you were saying 4th of July and playing the famous Hail to the Chief, might sound a bit more like this, given the state of the place at the moment. But happy 4th of July to you anyway and enjoy your day however you choose to celebrate it. Good morning, 0818 96 96 96. The number, text to WhatsApp is 083 396 96 96. And your email is opinion at 96fm.ie. Vic is still in the news booth because, Vic, I only heard about this through social media and other reports. What happened on the road to Cove yesterday? Not only what happened, it got you thinking... What happens if there's a major emergency? Well, and by the way, I'm in a long line of people who have already thought about that situation probably for the last 40 or 50 years. How long are you living down there now, Vic? I'm down there seven years this okay. year. Um, and as I said, there's a lot of people that know an awful lot more about that situation than I do. The only reason I'm talking about it this morning is because I got caught up in it yesterday. And as you said, I started to think about the bigger picture. And obviously, working in news, we kind of have an idea of, of what's happening when we see emergency services rushing along and I knew pretty quickly that there was something serious that was after happening um, really like just, it, just give people a time of the day there was an accident in Cove on Belverley Bridge which is that little tiny yeah. small bridge that just goes over from the mainland over onto the island and uh, I was on photo road and I actually was on I was actually at the roundabout Cove Cross and I could see emergency services coming in from Middleton and going off into Cove so I said I knew there was something going on anyway we continued went on to photo road and the next thing then obviously you, you become you, you slow down in the traffic and then I realised there's definitely something serious going on down here and it's happening somewhere in the vicinity of Fota and we just continually saw more emergency services coming along Fota Road and at that stage everybody was obviously pulling in to the left to let them through now there was still traffic coming down sort of on the other side of the road so I assumed there was still traffic coming off the island Mm. but it was just that we weren't able to get on the island and then it became fairly clear what was happening so people were turning back people were being told by the emergency services to turn back now 
I just want to say, first and foremost, this is not the fault of the emergency services. They're just trying to do their job. They're just trying to attend the scene of an accident. But um, I don't know whether it was a lack of resources that they had, but they were actually having to wait until every car got up to pretty much the scene of the accident and then tell each car in turn to do a U-turn and go back to the city. Whereas they should have been in a position there just as you pass Fota. Absolutely. Maybe, isn't there a little widening of the road there? There is, yeah, and that would have been a perfect spot to tell people, listen, the road at the bridge, there's been an accident on the bridge, the road, the bridge is closed, you're you're going to have to turn around and go back into the city, or they, they were telling people to head to the Cross River Ferry. So then you get a situation where you've got however many cars, hundreds of cars, all turning around and going back to the Cross River Ferry. But bear in mind, you've then got cars also on the other side of the Cross River Ferry trying to get off the island, as well as from the Passage West side to get back onto the island. They're sending people to Passage to the Cross River Ferry. That's a drive drive of of nearly 20 miles from there. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So so that that was what was happening yesterday. Now, I kind of thought to myself, I'm not even going to go anywhere near the Cross River Ferry because of, you, you could see how many people were, were queuing along Photo Road even to get onto the island that were then going to be told to go back to the Cross River Ferry. So I ended up driving back into the city and then had a thought, why don't I drive out to Glountorn, park my car in the train station car park in Glountorn. I got the train then into Cove and I was able to collect my kids. My my main problem, and listen, obviously there was a bigger picture here. The bigger picture was there was people involved in an accident and we must remember that that was the main mm. problem here. But I did have two kids that were at a summer camp on the island in Cove who were to be collected at two o'clock and I couldn't collect them till five o'clock yesterday. Oh my goodness me. What age are your boys now? They're four and eight. And who took care of them? Well, they're the, the fantastic little learners. They're in little learners for summer camp there at the minute and they are fantastic they will always accommodate anybody that finds themselves in a situation like right. that and they hang on to the, they hung on to the bo- the boys for me but as you were saying the bigger picture here is what happens in that time if there's another emergency on the island somebody has a t- heart attack god forbid or they need to try and get another ambulance through i also or heard yesterday fire. you see i also or a fire exactly i also heard yesterday from another neighbor of mine who was also stuck in the same situation he actually went for the cross river ferry which is what the guards were telling people to do he said he arrived up there and it was like cars trying to get into glastonbury to get onto that ferry. And he then witnessed a HSE ambulance, and obviously, as I said, not the fault of the emergency services, that had to be shipped over on the Cross River Ferry to get over onto Cove to go to the scene. I assume it was that scene. Maybe it was another emergency. Who knows, PJ? But they had to try and get that ambulance onto the Cross River Ferry when there was already two lanes of cars parked on that Cross River Ferry to get to go over. They had to try and squeeze the ambulance. Now, I'm only getting that from third-hand information, so if sure. I'm incorrect in any of that, then well, um, I, I have seen I have seen it happen. I've been waiting to use the ferry to go to Cove, and what will sometimes happen is if the ambulance is blue lighting, yeah, th- they will they ask people, "Can you wait for the next one?" Yeah, and they'll take the ambulance straight off on the ferry. I've seen them do that. Yeah, but 
do we know what happened on the bridge? I'm assuming nobody was seriously hurt, there were there? There was two people taken to hospital, okay. I believe non-life-threatening injuries. Okay. Um, but there was a lot of emergency services. It was a head-on collision oh right in good. the centre of the bridge. Oh so you goodness. can only imagine the clean-up operation as well as obviously making sure those two people were okay and that they were transported to hospital safely. See, that brings up another <sighs> prospect here, Vic. And of course, I'm always thinking of the, the disaster situation a crash there in the middle of, of the bridge and thankfully, hopefully at least they'll be okay and our thoughts are with them and their families and everyone connected Absolutely. to them. They're the first and foremost here. But supposing something happened that actually took out the bridge. Oh. That is an old bridge. It is the only way on and the only way off the island. What happened? What would happen if that bridge was knocked out of commission exactly. for a day or two? Exactly. It's just, I think, and I know this has been going on for years and years and years, trying to find another solution. I just think it's got it's a life or death situation now, PJ. Somebody had an idea years ago to take a a a, 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 what, a lane off the big road, the N25, and try and bring it into Cove that way. Yeah, there was a hundred and one reasons why it can't be done. But there's 101 reasons why it should be done as well. It should be done, absolutely. The other things I've heard of is a second cross-river ferry, possibly. That used to, there used to be two of them. Yeah, from East Ferry going over now, I don't know about, you know, all the technicalities of that, and I believe there was some objection to that, and, you know, you can understand why. And then, I mean, the, the bridge is obviously a protected structure. I don't know if there would be any way of widening the bridge into four lanes I don't know but I just think you know it, it, it's such a dangerous situation PJ it really is what would concern me yesterday that was a, an accident on the bridge yeah you'll be aware because you've worked in news now long enough Vic you'll be aware that there is uh, an emer- a major emergency protocol that all of the agencies are part of yeah what if you had to bring a major emergency protocol into effect yeah. on an afternoon like yesterday. Yeah. What would happen? How would you coordinate it? And again, what if what if that bridge had to be closed for 24 hours, which, as we both know, sometimes happens at an accident scene when Indeed. they need to examine the road and Indeed. take measurements and all the rest of it. Indeed. Imagine if that bridge was closed for 24 hours. What on earth would people do trying to get on and get off that island for 24 hours? Okay. Vic, I'll leave it there. Thank Thanks. you. We'll talk again. Now, let's go to the island to Joanna Murphy. Joanna, business owner, resident down there, native, as it were, of the area almost at this stage. You and others have been talking about this. Vic is living there eight years. You and others are talking about this a very long time. Morning. Morning, PJ, and thank you so much for having me on because this is quite important. Um, I first obviously like to say, hopefully those people are okay that were involved in that accident yesterday. I suppose it's our worst nightmare on the island. Um, as Victoria rightly said, you know, there was an accident yesterday. People were in traffic for three hours. What if there was somebody sick on the island that needed to get off the island? Mm-hmm. How was that going to happen? What if there was a fire? So I suppose they're all the, from a health and safety perspective, I'm going to say, that it's really important that we have, an, we have a growing population now in Cove. You can see the volume of traffic that's coming in and out. Both from a residential perspective, I suppose, and a commercial perspective. And, you know, I do know, and I mean, I, I know that you have Toddy Stafford now, President of Cove and Harbour Chamber, coming on, and he'll talk about the plans that are going to be in motion to be able to organise getting a new access 
into code a second access because that would be really, really important. Um, from a resident, obviously, it's a continuous worry. Um, as a mum with boys, as myself to get out from a business perspective, you know, if you've got to get to work, if mm. you've got to get to an appointment, you can't get there in time. What if you had to go for an interview? All these things. There's mm. so many different, you know, I suppose, alarm bells that were, were sent off yesterday. And every time, and this isn't the first time that something has happened on no. the photo road. It's the, happened numerous times. The, the nature of your work, Joanna, as an estate agent, also gives you, a, 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 puts you in a unique position to answer my next question. The increase in the population of Cove, can a number be put on it, say, over the last 10 years? Well, currently we're at 16,000 people, and I would absolutely assume that we're going to go into the 20s, without yeah. a doubt. could be mid-20s, and that you're right. Bringing it from my own perspective, my own profession, housing is going to be absolutely hindered in Cove unless we do have another access into Cove. Because how can you build all these houses, 1,500 houses, to be built yet in Cove. Mm. So, like, how, how can that happen unless we have the correct infrastructure in place? Well, the practical and that, thing and is, you want to build 1,500 houses, that's a lot of truckloads of stuff to get in and get out. What happens if one of those trucks has an accident? Exactly. And, I mean, and that would even bring me to the point that when I go back to the previous instance on the Fosham Road, right, or the, and Bellsley Bridge, because as Victoria said, that bridge is, I think it's like 270 years old. It's, 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 it's a really old bridge. It's a listed, building, uh, listed um, bridge. And I remember it was a couple of years ago, probably only about three or four years ago, where a truck actually jackknifed on the bridge. I remember. Place, yeah, and the place was sealed off for numerous hours. Um, look, at the end of the day, I do know, and as Toddy will back this up, Cork County Council, you also have the Great Ireland Transportation Studies been done as we speak at the moment. They are taking this very seriously. I know that it's going to be done. And when you look at the likes of the tunnel, you look at the Ring of Skiddy Road, all those different projects, they take a long time, right? And I suppose Cove now is becoming such a popular place to live in. Mm. It's becoming such a popular place from a tourism perspective that something has to be done now. And as Victoria said, like, I suppose, definitely from a safety perspective, it's now very, very necessary because people are stuck, stuck in traffic for three hours. What if somebody was in those cars who needs medication? What if they have a, you know, if, if they need to get home? You know what I mean? Things yeah. like that. Oh, so, let's, let's, let's think of someone. Let's think of someone like a type 1 diabetic who's sitting yeah. in that car for three hours in, in stressful situation and their insulin's at home in the fridge. Yeah, so, you know, but look, as I said, I do know, and I know that from previously being involved in the Chamber, that there is a lot of work being done on this project, and it is all good work, and it is all going to come through, and there is a good plan in place, and I do believe it's going to happen. And as I said, COVID is is definitely a a place, as I said, to live and visit. The other thing I wanted to say, too, is that from a commercial perspective, we have to be very aware as well that commercialism uh, attracts jobs, it produces jobs, and we need to be able to be very conscious about that on our great island, that we want to continue the commercial growth on the island as well. And we can't do that if we don't have the correct infrastructure in place. Maybe we can bring move on to that point. Um, Joanna, thank you. Joanna Murphy with Toddy Stafford, who's the uh, incoming or new president of Cove and Harbour Chamber. Toddy, I'll be 10 years, I was just remarking to a colleague here last few days, I'll be 10 years presenting this show next February. We were talking about this 10 years ago. Someone came up with the idea of a Bailey Bridge. That disappeared into the ether. What is the situation at the moment? Morning. 
Uh, good morning, PJ. Yes, um, you're, you're talking 10 years. I can recall 40 years ago seeing plans for the new road and the new bridge coming to Cove, which was presented at the time by a, a, a local councillor, uh, which, you know, as 40 years later, we're still talking about it. But uh, things are moving now. Um, uh, Cove and Harbour Chamber have been very proactive on pushing for this in in conjunction with other um, others, the likes of Doyle Shipping and Port of Cork, uh, and the Cork County, the, the local councillors and uh, our local TDs and ministers have also been very proactive. We've met them on a number of occasions. We've met Minister Michael McGrath and uh, Transport Infrastructure Ireland. Uh, last year, we, we, uh, we, we presented our, um, our, our needs. Uh, we presented a brief to them. Um, though, as a result, well, following on from that, uh, there was a Great Island Transportation Access Study uh, that's currently with Cork County Council. Uh, it's due for it's due to the, the complete report is due to be presented in September, where the plan will be outlined and uh, hopefully, following on from that, a planning process will be initiated. The, the, the roads now at this stage, it's essential in the interest of safety and quality of life for 16,000 people on the island, but also for the, for the further development. And we, we can't, I mean, the, the, the safety issue is just is paramount here now. We, we can't have these situations where, and it's, it's becoming more and more regular. Um, there's, you know, a couple of times a year that bridge or that photo road is closed, which we, we just can't, we, we can't accept that any longer. So something has to be done. But the, the plans, the plans are afoot. As an outsider, one could be uh, assumed of oversimplifying a situation by saying there's got to be another way to do it in a short term because plans and reports are all one thing, Toddy. But you've been listening for forty years. I'm listening to them for nearly as long between my days in news and my days on this program. Plans and reports and all this, but. Is there some simple way to put in like a Bailey Bridge or something? The again that that there there was issues with crashes, repeated crashes, and uh, trees falling on the photo road. Uh, following on from that, Cork County Council, in conjunction with Fort Island Estate, they did construct a temporary access route through the island of Fota, uh, adjacent to the roadway. But again, that's that doesn't sort out problems on the bridge itself. Yeah. So again, we we do have a meeting later this week uh, with the Minister Michael McGrath and our local councillor. So that will be brought up uh, some some sort of temporary arrangement. You're talking about the 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 ferry. I mean the the, the ferry. It's running to full capacity ordinarily, and then to have a situation yesterday where Indeed. the Gardaí accepted that uh, all all traffic coming on and off the island had to be diverted to that ferry. The result was that the the ferry was back. There was a backlog of the ferry for up to two hours. Um, that's that's no no fault of, of no. Dial Shipping Group. No, no, no. And indeed, and you were put, you were the, and you had no choice but to turn people back and say, if you want to go home to Cove right now or go collect your children, as Vic had to do, you've got to take a twenty mile detour to get a ferry that you might be sitting waiting two hours for. Not a sustainable solution long term. No, most certainly not. 
know. So um, the as I say, September isn't too far off. So that at least we're 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 more advanced now than we have been in the last forty years because mm-hmm. there there is and uh, we had very very frank discussions with Minister Michael McGrath last year, and there there is an acceptance at the highest level in in government that something has to be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the again, our local councillors are very very proactive on it. I, I'll I'll be accused of being mischievous. Toddy, but that's okay. I've been accused of worse in my time. Maybe now that Simon Coveney is living down there, something might move faster. And I'm just throwing that out there for what it's worth. Yes, well, it, it certainly it certainly will help. Um, uh, minister, the, the minister I know was in Cove yesterday. Whether he was impeded in getting, getting off the island or not, I, I don't know. Yeah, I know. Um, and another alternative is we, we, we do need more public water access in Cove as well. So there's there's, there's prospects there also. Uh, that that won't work for many, but the, the 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 road and the bridge has to be an, an absolute priority at this stage, right. and it has to be fast tracked. All right, Toddy. Thank you, Toddy Stafford new president of Cove and Harbour Chamber. What I would love to do, I don't know who is in charge of it at the moment, but look, they listen in high places. Who is currently in charge of the HSE's major emergency protocol for this region? There was a man, he was an army man years ago, I think his name might have been Daly. I know his name was Peter, but it might have been Daly, and he was in charge of the logistics of a major emergency plan if we had to to bring one in. I remember visiting him in a couple of times. He had an office out in the old Ironville Hospital. But who's in charge of that major emergency protocol just now? And if what had happened yesterday had transpired to be a major emergency, what do we do? What are the plans in the protocol for that? Because I'd imagine you'd be half fearful if you were living down there now with a few children. As Vic said yesterday, she was supposed to pick up her kids after her shift here in the newsroom she was supposed to pick up her kids at 2 o'clock. She got to them at 5 o'clock. Now, fantastic, there was someone there to mind them, but what if there wasn't? What if there wasn't, you know? John said, if we had a couple of government ministers living there, it would be sorted quickly. That's why I mentioned Simon Coveney. He's moved. He lives down there now, although he will be, he says, standing in Cork South Central as opposed to Cork East. Wouldn't it be more sensible to have LED screens dotted around the place where emergency services can access and inform motorists live? True, Kevin. Bear in mind, PJ, the Cross River Ferry doesn't operate in fog and always suffers technical difficulties and has to stop sometimes for a period of time. That's from Pauline. You're right, Pauline. And there used to be two of them. Now, I don't know whether there still are two or not, but there used to be two, two identical barges, for want of a better term, they went over and back. Is there only one now? Or do they use them on alternate days? I don't know. Thanks, Pauline. 0818969696. If you're down in Cove and we're caught up in yesterday, I'd like to hear from you. How were you affected? How long have you been living there? Here's the thing. Joanna being an estate agent down there. If you were thinking of moving to Cove, and God, there's a lot of people, friends and colleagues over the years who live in Cove. I wouldn't live down there now. I wouldn't be inclined to live to God, man. You'd be trapped. Trapped. Public transport. Yeah, there's a fabulous train service, but that stops at, like, stupid early in the evening and doesn't start until stupid late in the morning. The bus service, Cove Connects, which is fantastic, but that has to come over the bridge. The buses were knackered as well because, you know, they can't get over the bridge. The ferry kept going as best it could. Buses were way behind time. 
Cove is, Cove is, Cove is a major town now, and the island, the Great Island, is a major island. This is a, a huge, huge problem. Another John says all they're doing is talking. There's no action. I'm 56. They've been talking about this since I was 10. There was an ambulance stuck for four hours one time due to a truck that had shed its load. And nothing's going to change even with Minister Coveney living there. Maybe, John, but, you know, make enough noise about it. Something just might. 0818 96 96 96. Although I do remember talking to people like the great John Mansworth years ago. And, oh, who was that labour man who was down there? Oh, wasn't he John as well? God, his name has gone out of my head now, but he was a, a Labour TD, a very prominent Labour TD, lived down there while Labour run government. He was trying to get it, get something sorted. They've been doing this for an awful long time and nothing's happened. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Corks 96 FM. The Cork Diary. Corks 96 FM. The Galleyhead Swim is back for another year, taking place this time round on Saturday, the 22nd of July. This iconic 10 kilometre swim will see swimmers starting at the Red Strand before tackling the legendary waters around Galleyhead and finally the long six kilometre leg to the Warren in Ross Carberry. This year, the event will be raising money for Marymount Hospice, Cancer Connect, and Co Action. For more info, go to the website galleyheadswim.com. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email the details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie. Thank you. It was John Mulvihill, was the, the Labour man, the former TD for the area, brought this up at council, uh, county council. Would you care to recall when he brought this up? <laughs> There's a little pop quiz now for anyone listening in Cove. When would you think John Mulvihill raised this at county council and raised hell at the council about it. When would you think? Maybe, what? Yeah, it was 1978. 1978. That is 45 years ago. John Mulvihill brought it up to the council. 0818 96 96 96. Yesterday we were talking about the cashless society and we had an interesting response in from Claire. But you'll remember Katie from the newsroom went and met the Minister for Finance, Michael McGrath, over the weekend, and we asked her, because we were going to be discussing the cash society, would he take action by way of legislation to give you the absolute right to pay in cash should you so desire to do so? Here's what he said. So we are going to bring in uh, rules here through legislation about ensuring that there is an adequate system of access to cash and that people will be allowed to use cash as appropriate. Now, that's what he said. They've done it in Italy. Yes, it might have been a populist movement, but they've done it in Italy. It looks like they may do it here. At least they're considering it. The number of shops that just won't take cash now is growing every day. I noticed this last year. I flew on Ryanair. And I did, look, it didn't make a big difference to me. But it makes a big difference to some people. Claire got in touch. Said she was on an Aer Lingus flight to Portugal. And her husband ordered tea, coffee, biscuits and sandwiches for herself and himself. When he came to pay, the cabin crew refused cash. Told him it was on their website that this is a cashless flight. He said he only had cash on him. Her response was to take everything back except the tea and coffee because that couldn't be put back in the kettle. 
Yeah, planes are gone completely cashless, and yes, it is on their website. But I think, and I'm only going to say this out loud once, I think it pr- should probably be more prominently displayed at the airport. Uh, attention, Barry Holland and crew at Cork Airport. You do fabulous work for the summer, big busy summer up there. Maybe it might be a thing to do at the airport to put up a sign or two to say that I know I know Ryanair are. I didn't know where Lingus were gone completely cashless on air or on, on in the air. I, I don't like that now. To be quite honest. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Now, if you've been watching the news from France over the last few days, you'd be forgiven for thinking that Paris is burning and had descended into chaos. And yes, there have been riots and they spread to various parts of the country also. It is calming down now, thankfully, after four or five or six fairly fraught nights. The Department of Foreign Affairs was saying to people, be cautious about travelling to France. Some people were thinking, should I cancel my trip altogether? Is it dangerous over there? Let's get a little bit of perspective. Porrick Maguire runs the Irish in France podcast. And he joins me now from Paris. Porrick, would you start by going over one more time for listeners who mightn't have the full details? Go over the incident for me that started all this a few days ago. Morning. Good morning, PJ. It was an incident in the suburbs of Paris, the close suburbs on the west side. A young man uh, driving in an erratic, wild manner was uh, followed by motorcycle cops and was eventually forced to stop. Turned out it was underage, he was 17, no driving license had been stopped before for the same kind of offence. But this case had turned very dramatic in that he uh, was shot and killed. The officer who fired the shot made a first statement to say that he felt his life was in danger, that the car was driving towards him. However, there happened to be at least two videos uh, taken by bystanders who seemed to show that that was not the case, Hmm. that the, the cop was not directly in danger. The car was not directly going towards him. So the version given by the cop doesn't seem to, to be shown by the videos. Yeah. So, of course, that caused protests uh, against the cops, which is understandable. A 17-year-old, whatever his past for driving without a license, that doesn't deserve a bullet in the head. Do I understand, Parry, that some cop has has been charged with murder out of this? He has been charged with voluntary homicide and he's in custody at the moment. Okay. Now, protests, they're kind of part of France. In fact, we look on at France and we kind of say, God, they don't take any nonsense from the police, from the it government. It is a speciality, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and sometimes we wonder, God, wouldn't, wouldn't we all be great if we did things a bit more like the French? But this has gotten completely out of hand. Way, way over what was expected. Uh, it went from protesting the death of a young man to just general pillage. Uh, the family of the, the, the young man called for a, a protest march in the, the suburb, not there it's called. Um, it was quite peaceful. People were protesting and were, were objecting to the violence as they see it at the hands of the police. Um, and it went reasonably peacefully. People sh- expressed their, their uh, hurt and dissatisfaction. But it got out of hand towards the end of that protest and there were confrontations with the cops. And then, of course, at night, it went to hell altogether. There were eruptions all over the suburbs of Paris and around the country. 
and it became just an excuse in my opinion for certain people to get out and break things you can understand protests you can understand people even you might understand them attacking a police station because that's the target but when you get see them burning a school burning your neighbor's car and burning a tramway and a bus ransacking shops i mean nike stores apple stores uh tobacconists everything yeah it's been wrecked which is i mean it's hard to uh put that down to protesting the death of a young man was there one public official a mayor who had to barricade himself in there was an, an incident in the southern suburbs of paris where the mayor was actually in the town hall he had the town hall barricaded uh when the people came to lay siege to us they found it was difficult to get to the town hall itself, so some of them had the bright idea to go to the, the mayor's house. Good Lord. And they rammed the house with a stolen car, then set fire to the car. The mayor's wife and young children were in the house at the time. They managed to escape without physical injury, but I can imagine the trauma must have been uh, incredible. So that led to counter protests. There was a, a call for people to assemble in front of the town halls all around the country to show solidarity, and that was widely uh, supported. This is a little bit frightening, Porik. It is scary indeed, yeah. I mean, the, the number of arrests, there were something like 900 arrests on earlier nights. Last night, only 127, according to the news. So it's kind of coming to, coming to an end. Parents are out patrolling uh, schools during the night to stop teenagers ransacking the places. It, it's, it, it seems to be getting under control now, but it was shocking for the last few days. I, I live in, I live close to the centre of Paris and there was no action in my neighbourhood. Is there a tension in the air as you go around now? Not in the city itself. This Paris city is surrounded by suburbs of varying uh, social levels, let's say. Some of the more deprived suburbs, there certainly would be tension. Arrondissements, we call the them, isn't it? They all have a number, isn't that how it's done? The city of Paris itself is actually quite small, but Paris plus the suburb is very big. Now here at home, Porik, the Department of Foreign Affairs is advising people to be careful if they're travelling to France. Is that an overreaction, do you think? To be careful is certainly what you should do, but I don't think a blanket cancellation of trips is called for. It's not a war zone. What we see on television, of course, is the most dramatic extracts of what's been happening, and it's not like that all over. I mean, Paris is not burning. Yeah, I saw that. So on, come over and I see saw, us. I saw someone uh, putting that up on Twitter over the weekend, and I thought that's a bit of a stretch. Mm. No, Paris is not burning and hasn't been certain areas. Yeah, keep away. But you, again, as I say, as a tourist, you probably wouldn't want to be going there anyway. We're only a couple of months away from the Rugby World Cup, and people have yeah. trips booked and 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 pl- big plans made. Don't cancel. <laughs> come over. Everything will be all right. Don't worry. It's dying down now. <laughs> It is, yeah. It's as I said, there were only a few, few, only 127 arrests last night, according to the TV news. But that's mild compared to the previous nights, and it is coming to an end. And popular opinion now is going against whatever protest there might have been. Legitimate it might have been to a certain point, but it's certainly gone way beyond legitimate, and it's totally unacceptable. And people are showing that they disagree. This popular protest in front of town halls around the country was a pretty strong message to the the thugs that are involved and taking advantage of this tragic situation just to be assholes. Porik, lastly, can we talk a little bit about your your podcast? It's a new one on me, the Irish in France. Yes, uh, I'm a member of the board of Irish in France uh, and association, community association. 
and uh, we organise various events during the year for our members. We have picnics, we have concerts, we have uh, meetups for rugby matches, for example. And uh, I present a show called The Snug, which you can find on Google Podcasts or Spotify. And the, the format is I interview a person either from the Irish community in France or somebody linked to the Irish community in France. And we talk about their personal life, their profession, their background, whatever they feel like talking about. And included in it is uh, their choice of music. They choose three songs, a bit like the BBC's Desert Island Discs. And we talked about their choice of music and why we chose it. So we've had some interesting people. We have a lot of interesting people, some well-known, some not well-known. We had uh, a certain well-known Irish TV presenter uh, recently who's been in the news uh, oh, really? last year. <laughs> yeah, he's a, fr- he's a friend of uh, Paris. He comes over quite often and he helped us out with some of our events. So he was my guest um, okay. around Christmas time, just before Christmas. A, a long time before any of the latest stuff hit the headlines, Indeed. but Indeed. worth a listen Indeed. anyway. Indeed. Parik, a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you very much. PJ, you're very welcome. Take care. Thanks, Parik. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Irish in France podcast. And Harris is not burning. Okay, and he wants to make that very clear. Paris is not burning. They've had a rough few nights and it's been mirrored around the country. But it's perfectly safe. The places this is happening, he said, are places you wouldn't probably be going to as a tourist anyway. And if you've a plan to go to the World Cup, go to the World Cup. I wish I could. I wish I could. Join the conversation. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cork's 96FM. Staying in East Cork, actually. Maria is in Whitegate. I can't believe it's nearly a year ago since we last talked, Maria. And I also can't believe you're still buying bottled water. Morning. Hi PJ, yeah, it's an absolute disgrace. I was on air here in January um, this year and I know Owen was on last year with you as well about yeah. the same issue. Owen Fitzpatrick, and, yeah. Yeah, Owen Fitzpatrick and um, still nothing has been done. No, in January when I was on, um, Pat Buckley for Sinn Féin brought our matter to the doll and we were hoping there would be some resolution. Um, he brought everything from compensation for the residents to providing us with um, recycling containers for our plastic bottles and rerouting us onto the Middleton network so yeah, we could actually people get again, Marie, water. people again, who wouldn't be overly familiar. What, yeah. what is the problem here? You haven't had proper fresh water for how long? Seven years. So what? since Yeah, since 2016 we first started our boiled water notices and we've been on eight since. I thought you were going to tell me too. I'd completely forgotten I went back that far. No, yeah, you had the same reaction the last time, Ron. You were absolutely appalled. It was seven years. And this is seven years in the making. Like, they have seven years to fix these issues, do you know? Um, It's an absolute disgrace. So, um, what happened is, when I rang you in January last year, we had been on a boiled water notice since October. We had just come off boiled water notice, I think it was, for two or three months. We had a two or three month reprieve from the previous boiled water notice that lasted nearly a year. Yeah. I know they were hoping that we'd be off it this summer, uh, similar to last summer, um, but no, it's for the foreseeable future. Now, I know oh, Ishka I hate Aaron, those words, and you see them anywhere, I hate those words. Yeah, and I know Ishka Erin put in a planning permission for a new wastewater treatment for the Whitegate area um, 
and if the expected works were supposed to be completed by 2025. Mm. Oh, no. no. Remind me yeah. again, like, if you go and turn the tap on now, Maria, what's mm-hmm. coming out of it? Water. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but dirty water, dirty apparently. Dirty water, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so what it is, is the water that's coming through the white gear area is coming through highly silted underground channels and the ultraviolet uh, lights that are used to treat and kill bacteria, say protozoa and viruses, it can pass through the silt. So we don't know what's actually in our water. So you could have bacteria, you could have viruses, you could have, you know, protozoa, you could have anything in there. You know, it's not being killed. So we can't use the water for anything, just basically washing yourself in the shower. Um, you have to boil your water or boil your water to brush your teeth or wash fruit or veg or cook. So it's a huge inconvenience. You can't, sorry, you can't, or can you rather, put a pot of spuds under the tap and just use that water? Have you to boil it first? You'd, I assume you'd have to boil it first because I don't know how it works really and what's in your water. You're using so bottled water. We're using bottled water, yeah, because like, we don't know what's in the water. How, how much, how, I mean, as someone who drinks a lot of bottled water anyway, yeah. how much are you spending on the stuff? I decided I drink loads, so I'm spending between 40 to 50 a week. A week? Yeah, a week. There's four of us in our household, and with cleaning, say, all the foods and drinking water, we're spending 40 to 50 a week, and our recycling bin is full with bottles. Now, there's 10,000 customers affected, PJ, so you could just imagine how much bottles are being used every week down here in East Cork. And, and we have not been supplied with a container for the recycling, so we're yeah. also being caught paying through our waste recycling. And no prospect, like? No prospect? No, and to make matters worse, um, but, um, there's been objections uh, lodged uh, for this new construction for tw- you know, that was supposed to be expected to be completed by 25. That's now we're on board Planala. Oh, no. So, you know, once it goes to them, it's going to take months because of the recent upheavals and everything has to be adhered to. So, best case scenario now they're saying is 26. You know, there's no chance in hell that's happening. So, even though there's a plan on the table, Mm -hmm. someone else down there has said, actually, no, I object to that. Yeah. So, there has been objections lodged and... um, that's now we're on Blorge, Planola, and God knows how long that's going to take. So we're now at wit's end. Nothing has been done. We're sick of being silent. We're sick of the additional costs. And we want things done before we get louder. Because yeah. we will get louder. Yeah. How about how many households are affected? 10,000. So that's 10,000 households and businesses. Wow who are going through what you're going through, paying 40 to 50 quid a week for bottled water. Yeah, and businesses probably more because they have to supply water to their customers and they have to adhere by you know, HSE standards for washing and prepping foods. Yeah, can you imagine? I'm, I'm assuming there are little coffee shops and small mm-hmm. restaurants affected by yeah, this too. Yeah, local bars. I'm sure they're already struggling because of the pandemic, you know. Uh, we're just coming out of that and they're into this. this so a, it's not helping. This is a disaster. Yeah, and even like with babies there now, like, would you yeah. trust like boiling water and putting into a baby's bottle when you don't know what's in it? You wouldn't. Like a lot of people are buying pre-mates, which costs a fortune because I did it myself. Mm. 
And like that costs more than buying what I'm paying on water a week. And um, yeah, like or they're having to buy bottled water and boil it. And it's just it's a very stressful time. And there's families struggling down here. Like, you know, unfortunately I can spend that amount on water. It's a huge inconvenience. But there's families that can't. Oh, that's 200 quid a month. Mm-hmm. That's 12 months of the year. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's a mortgage, and, and that's it, a mortgage yeah. payment. It is. And this is going on seven years. And for the foreseeable future, like we want the government to open their ears, do you know? Because every time it goes up there, it's falling on deaf ears. See, what you'll be told then, of course, is you'll be told, oh, Ishka Aaron is an entity in itself and Mm -hmm. will do things. This is the thing they do, you see. The people supposed to run the country, they offload their responsibilities onto bodies like Ishka Aaron instead of ringing them up and saying, come here, you have a license to operate now. Yeah. You get your finger out and sort those people out. Yeah, but this is where we need to, as a country, grow a backbone and stand up to the likes of Ishka Erin and stand up to the likes of our government who were born with silver spoons up their rear end. <laughs> um, they are not people like us that have come through life, that have seen the failures of the system. They have been born into privileged positions and continue to hold one. So they don't have a clue what's going on in the country. They're taking huge salaries, huge pensions, and they're leaving the likes of us normal people struggle, scrimp and save, and spend all of our hard-earned cash trying to get, you know, drinking water. We need a total revolution in this country. Can, we I, need can, I, can I make a suggestion? And I'm going yes. to throw this out now and be completely mischievous, which wouldn't be the first time. There's a local election in May of 2024 could we see a candidate coming from your part of the world oh jeez I don't know is that <laughs> no I do a better job like oh my god um because that yeah. sounded like a campaign speech if ever I heard one <laughs> Marie I'm, I'm gonna leave it there I, I sympathise with you though thank you very much for no reason other than time I'll leave it there Maria McLeod there's seven years Boiling the water down in, in East Cork. That's just bonkers. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. Then you can get on the phone, get on the email, get on the text, get on the WhatsApp, get on the voice message, and let us know. All right? Now, Mary, of course we do these things when someone comes to us with uh, such a story that you have done. Mary McCarthy's Irish Dancing School were representing Cork in a festival in Sorrento in Italy and got an award in a boxed plaque style. Well done. Congratulations. But they got off the coach outside Our Lady Crown Church on Sunday evening around 20 to 7. And there was a bag was left either on the path against the church wall or up on the wall itself. They can't remember which. 
but wasn't the award inside in it. And there was also some presents and, and stuff like that. Everybody, of course, was collected off the bus. The bag was forgotten. The person who left the bag and realised it was missing drove back as quick as she could. Ten past seven she was there. No sign of the bag outside Our Lady Crown Church in Mayfield. So, look, it's not so much the presents that they want. It's the reward, the award that was in that bag. If anybody found it, then can they hand it to the church or get in touch get in touch with, with Mary through us? at 0818969696 or maybe hand it into the church or did anyone bring it into the church leave it in the sacristy or something and might have forgotten about it so that was Sunday evening last which would have been what the 2nd of July it was quite a nice evening Sunday evening around 20 to 7 there was a group dropped back to Our Lady Crown Church in Mayfield they were on their way back from Italy they left a bag either on the wall or near the wall. And there's things in that bag that they dearly love to get back. So if you found it, it would have been between 20 to 7 and 10 past 7 last Sunday evening. Let us know and we'll see if we can't reunite that bag with its owners. Wouldn't it be fantastic if we could do that? I love, I know people come to us and say, no, it's so desperate, it's such a long shot. Sometimes it's not, you know. We've found things here that have been lost for years. It's worth a go. 0818969696. Now, Susan Walsh, remind me again, where is St. Anthony's Park? Good morning. Good morning, uh, and thanks for covering this, PJ. I really appreciate it. It is up opposite Apple Campus there by Nocknahini. Okay. And it's, um, yeah, and it's, uh, it's a, a site. Okay. Um, but like that, um, as with all over Ireland, there's an awful lot of animal cruelty and neglect. But recently, there's been a spat of horrendous, horrendous cruelty what in did, that area. You found something while you were out um, for a walk, didn't you? I did, I did. And I've often come across dogs up there in horrendous conditions, with pieces out of them, suffering all over with mange, um, covered in fleas, which is standard issue. But not only this, this was a dead puppy, a dead German Shepherd puppy, no more than three to three and a half months old. He was on the pavement at the entrance to St. Anthony's. Um, he had, I took photographs, obviously, uh, because I wanted to report it. But there was dried blood around his neck and on the pavement. Um, there was another white dog next to him gnawing on the carcass of possibly a pony or oh, no. a cow. It's hard to say. Now, that was, this white little dog had a piece, a chunk taken out already previously from some dog fight or an attack, already gone out of his thigh. And this dog was so super friendly and we fed him and we, we had food with us. And he was just, he's begging for a new life. But the dogs in the area are just, it's like a third world country. It is just disgraceful. When, so when did this I took happen, photographs. Susan? When? This was, I discovered the puppy the Saturday before last. Yeah. So that would have been around the 24th of June. Okay. Um, I reported it because it was a weekend, it was a Saturday, so I sent, I sent the photographs to um, CSPCA for them then to send on to City Council. Because the sad thing here is, in the past, I'm wearing myself too, we used to blame the wardens. Why aren't the wardens doing anything? Why aren't they up there all the time? But the problem is, they are so overrun with neglect all over the city, trying to focus on every area is really hard. And believe it or not, there are only three wardens in Cork City to cover the whole yeah, lot of it. I know. 
I know. So and that includes, it's not their fault that includes what used to be county as well, Susan. Well, yeah. in county then, there's more. Um, there's I, I'm not sure exactly, but I do know county then would have a few more and yeah. part-timers. But the bit, that used to be, the bit that used to be county that's now in the city, those three wardens are still covering that. This this German shepherd yeah, puppy, exactly. did, did, it, did it appear to have been knocked down or what? Oh, no, this was this was an attack on this puppy. No, it might have been from another dog, who knows? But the thing is, if it was your yours or my puppy and it was attacked by a dog, it certainly would not be sitting on the pavement for two to three days in that condition and carcasses of dead animals all around it for other for the other dogs to feed on, oh which were God. disgusting. I mean, there was no flesh left on. The, these were burnt out carcasses. And that's all those dogs had was to gnaw on these bones, on the ribs. It was horrendous. And they saw a hoof. And I know, I know this is upsetting, but it's... No, no. Do you know what, Susan? I'm not, sto- I'm not stopping you. And the reason I'm not going to stop you yeah. is because we need to know Good, thank you. People need to know. And a lot of people can handle this stuff because it's upsetting and they have their own pet dogs at home. They don't imagine this is going on. But if people don't stand up, it's like water rates. It's like the cost of living crisis. It's like animal welfare in this country. We have the worst record in Europe, Ireland has, for such a rich country. And yet we walk past dead animals in certain areas because, oops, can't do anything there for reprisals. Whereas if it happened now in your average Joe, um, you know, wherever you live, yeah. and my neighbour saw a dead puppy on my pavement for three to four days, you can, as you know, you can be sure they'd be banging on my door, the guards would be up, or whomever, they'd be ringing to report me. What if nothing else so. happened, Susan, the, the poor animal would be collected and, and taken yes. away by the council? I yeah. can remember when I was exactly. only, God, the most I was was... Was I thirteen or fourteen? I used to get the bus yeah. down on on Well Road one time, and down by the bus stop there, I always remember. And this is a like I'm I'm no child. This is a long, long time yeah. ago, and I can still remember how distressed I was. A dog had been knocked down, yeah. and all they did was pick it up and chuck Ooh. it into the ditch, and it was left there to rot. Yeah. Now, well, would you believe? Yeah. The point with this German Shepherd puppy is three days later on the Tuesday. Now, I sent the photographs to the warden, uh, the city warden, who then was again exasperated and, and upset by this. And they wanted to forward it to city council because the main crux of this problem is the city council aren't giving the wardens enough manpower. There's not enough people to go around to stop this. Plus, they're being threatened when they go onto certain areas trying to improve or take dogs and get ponies out. They're being threatened, and so obviously they need a guard of presence with them then as well. So obviously it's all resources, resources. But these resources are essential. I mean, like for anything, it's like, you know, if, if a child, you know, is being hurt, then they have to show up in the door and... You know, sort so the situation. There's out. another. There's another phone call, and it's not your job to make it, Susan. But I know if I if if I suggest it to you, you'll think about it. Mm-hmm. There's another phone call you could make here, the Department of Public Health. That's a it's health very hazard. True. It, yeah, a I know what you mean. And coming in from another side of it, exactly. We're in yeah, summertime. I know. We're in summertime. I mean, for goodness sake, you know, warm bit, bit of bit of warm weather. Yeah, you've got a major health hazard there in 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 hours. Healthy safety. Yeah, exactly. Because other animals, other animals are going to feast on these on the dead bodies of puppies and dogs. You know what I mean? And it's a constant. It's you know, it's transferring diseases 
you know, onwards, onwards, onwards. It's it's got a, an immediate effect. Birds, you know, and then the man will bird flu and all the rest of it. All of this is because of neglect. Now, on the Tuesday, three days later, um, the puppy, somebody had lifted the puppy off the pavement and chucked him into the, as you said, into the ditch with all the rubbish. And now I'm away now for the last week, so I don't know if he's still there, but as of Tuesday, that dead body was still there. And I have the photographs. Now, I did send it, send it in to, as I said, it's been sent now, but the main crux is they need people, city council, to give them more manpower to employ more wardens. They're on their knees. The pounds are full. The rescues are full. Nobody is adopting dogs. You know, it's gone dead. Literally has gone dead. Now, I mean, myself and a friend, a bunch of friends in ours, we're involved in promoting sight homes as pets. Um, I spoke to you there a couple of years back, uh, just before the lockdown, you were saying you were going to come to our walk, which is the great global greyhound walk. Um, it's a walk that goes on all over Europe and yeah. different countries and it's just to promote these beautiful dogs as pets because, as you know, lurchers have a bad name because yeah. bad people, some bad people have them and like to set them on neighbourhood well, cats, which is disgusting, you know? My, my, do- um, my, my daughter is a veterinary nurse and, and she oh, is right. weak for lurchers. If, if, if she had her way, the house would be full of lurchers. But you know, what makes me sad, you mentioned the little white dog, right? Yeah. And I He's say breaking so, my heart. This is very personal. The, one of the first faces I see every morning when I get up and one of the last faces I see at night before I go to bed is the face of a little white dog that I adore with every fibre of my being. Um, yeah. And if you, as you said, if you could imagine him, you know, any of our dogs don't go going there. through don't that. Don't go there. Don't go there. No, nah, it's just. And I don't know why some, I understand there is a fear with people to get involved. You know, nobody wants to bring trouble to their door. But there are such good people out there that will turn up and will try and help dogs. Not just in that area, no, I don't mean, you know, but no, all but over. There, this is so happening not everywhere, saying, Susan. This it's everywhere. A couple yeah. of years ago, I remember covering a story here and it it broke my heart to do it. There was some some scrot was setting fire to cats mm. down the mangle. That's Tying right. Tying cats yeah. down. Tying cats down. Yeah. And setting That's fire to I know. Now, yeah. if you will do that, and that to a helpless animal, you'll do that to a human being. You will. You're capable of anything if you're of that sickle-minded. And, and if you will neglect, I, you know, it's if you will neglect an animal is. to this extent, you will neglect a child to this extent. You will. You have no. There's something not right there. You know what I mean. And it's people can make excuses about different things for reasons and reasons, and but not, there it's is no excuse for. It's animal all rubbish, abuse. Susan. It's all there nonsense. is none. No. There absolutely is, and I just you have, feel very, now you, have very, you have me very upset and cross now. I'm sorry. Well, I hope the listeners feel sorry. the same. Don't be sorry. <laughs> I just think people are fantastic out there and they donate. And we do street collections now for different rescues on Patrick Street. And people are so generous. We just need more people adopting dogs. Um, I mean, obviously, you can only take in and adopt as many as you can afford because you've got to cover vets bills yourselves and everything mm. else. But we need people to report it. And I think if people report it to city council, especially, they will realise then that they are understaffed down at the CSPC. 
that they need more hands-on. Um, and then who knows, maybe then routine checks could be done a lot more frequently. You know? you know, it's just that they are so stretched as it is. I mean, like, and it's every day, you, every day. Are, are, as are I said, you, myself are, and my friends. Yeah. yeah, sorry. Are you on Twitter? That we're volunteers and we see this stuff every day. We're not even rescues. We're just volunteers for a few of the rescues, you know, in Cork City. And they are heartbroken. They are beaten. And mo- the majority of these rescues are doing this in their own time. You know, they'll hold down normal yeah, jobs, yeah. Um, finish work at five o'clock, six o'clock, then come home and they're manning their phones then to midnight, taking calls, people threatening, if you don't take my dog, I'm going to kill it. If you don't if you don't take my dog by Tuesday, I'm putting him to sleep. And this is happening all the time. People are putting their, you know, with the threat of, if you don't take, I'll kill the dog. So the rescues, obviously, what are you going to do? You're not going to sleep at night over that. So yeah, yeah, we'll take it. We'll take the dog, we'll take the dog. We need foster homes. Foster homes are key for animal welfare in Ireland. Like, because if you foster a dog, you take the dog and the rescue advises you then and they, they cover, most rescues then, can, you know, they help and they can cover the vet's bills and they cover the food. So all you're doing is giving a roof over the dog's head, teaching it how to be loved and it learns to be cared for, and then that dog gets a home. Then you can foster again, but it also at the same time, it frees up a space for a dog to come out of the pound yeah. and go into the kennels. And it's a nice cir- cir- um, cycle. You know, you foster a dog, it finds a home, yeah. and then another dog can find a space out of the pound um, because, you know, the pounds are full. And sadly, you know, can, things can happen at the pounds because they're just, they can't keep taking in, taking in mm. six months worth of dogs if nobody's adopting them. You know what I mean? We're, 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 we're coming to a point, Susan, where we have street dogs and mm. you don't want that. You don't want that. No. And in a country like ours, that's so bloody rich. Now, I know now we ourselves, the, you know, we're not rich, but the country is rich. There is money out there they could allocate wages to a couple more wardens to help them, you know. And another thing, with these areas that is happening frequently, and it has been since we've all been kids, I mean, we can always, I can remember as well, like yourself now being a kid and you'd walk past, you know, spots and you'd see it all the time and you'd be crying coming home from school over soon. But in this day and age, for it to be still going on, and dogs walking around my legs with a bit of their thigh missing and they begging for a bit of food. They're begging for food and they're all emaciated. Yeah. I mean, they're just in horrendous condition. Yeah. Um, it's disgusting. It's the saddest. And as I said, now I could show you 24 photographs now of, say, seven different dogs now in, in the recent month. Um, Send them to me. That are suffering. I will. I will. Send them to me, Susan. I will. I think people Absolutely. need to see some and of this. I think yep. people need to see some. Um, I, I asked you there a second they, ago, you missed, are, you on, are you on Twitter? I'm not. No, should, I don't. You, Do you know why? Because I find... There's a, there's a guy I'm called... I'm on Facebook. It's, uh, there's, well, yeah. He might be on Facebook too. There's a guy called Niall Harbison. Right? He's an Irishman. Um, and okay. He, now, he's based in Thailand, right? But he, a, a few years ago, he got upset and distressed like you at the state of the dogs yeah. in Thailand and he started looking after them taking in the street dogs oh, who were crawling along I know him the... I follow him Yeah, I follow him on Facebook and now he gets in the canoe and everything he goes around to the yeah. different islands and he feeds them Cork, and then you, he you, get, you, oh my you, god he's you, an amazing you, man you sound to me like you have the makings of an Isle Harbison didn't you 
You just give a damn. <laughs> you give a damn. But I tell you now, I have two lurchers and I have two border collies, and both uh, my lurchers were dumped. One, luckily, was found as a puppy, so she didn't go through too, too much. Uh, she's 10 now. But my boy, which is Shelby, he came from Heart Rescue here in Cork. He went through hell. He has cigarette burns, acid burns, his ears are cut. He has oh. a knife wound on his neck that is three by two inches. He has scars all over his body from his previous life, which was another area, you know, shall we say, you mm. know, um, he, came, he came from a haunting site, you know, and he was a basket case for about 10 months, terrified, terrified of everything. And he was booked for a home in the UK through Heart Rescue, who are amazing now for the lurches and the greyhounds and all dogs, but specialising in sight hounds. And he came to me and he was, because uh, I was fostering, and he was with me about three months and he got booked to go to the UK, great home, so on and so forth. And all those things are checked over in other countries as well. I mean, they all mm. tie in with each other, you know, uh, rescues on either end. And everybody is home checked to make sure they're going to, you know, a home that suits them and that the dog suits the family as well, you know, vice versa. But like that, one day I was going out to the, he was due to go in two weeks and um, he was a real bouncy boy at this stage. He'd come round, he was about six years of age, which is the guesstimate on him. And I was putting cartons into the recycling bin and the wind caught this small, tiny little kind of paper carton and it flew past me and it landed on his back. Now, when I say landed, it was light as a feather, but it tipped off his back and he dropped to the floor so hard and he started screaming because to him, he thought it was the beginning of a beating because that's all he knew. And I looked at him and I, you know, you grab him and you cuddle him and you're you're like, calm down, calm down, it's okay. And then I went, no, you're staying with me. You've got to stay with me. (laughs) You know, he he might have done it on purpose. I don't know. He might have staged it. (laughs) But he stayed. Um, They make, all dogs are fantastic. But I would ask the public to look into greyhounds and lurchers and see past what their alleged heritage is, if you catch my drift. I do. Because they are they are a pet the same as any other oh, dog. You know, they really there, are. Yeah. As I said to you now, if, if 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 my daughter had her way, our house would be full of them. Yeah. And, her, and so would her apartment where she lives would be full of them too. Susan, <laughs> I, I have, I, it's been a difficult one, but I've enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. And PJ, as I said, I was talking to you there about three years ago before COVID and all that. Yeah. And uh, I was telling you about the Great Global Walk. It's on the 24th of September, um, again now this year. And every year our numbers increase. Remind increase me again. Remind me again. Remind I will. Remind me again. Remind and uh, I'd love it if you came along. It'll be a Sunday afternoon. Uh, we usually hold it at Donnerail Park. It's a nice walk around the park. Big photograph at the end. And then, you know, it's just fun to see them all dressed up in their little coats. Happy, happy dogs. And we have lots of lurchers and greyhounds will be looking for homes. They'll have their adopt me little jackets on so that people then can see, oh, he's looking for a home. And it's a great way of networking. And, <laughs> and as well as that, for local people that are just walking around the park and join a Sunday afternoon, they see them and they all go, but we thought they needed so much exercise. We thought they needed yeah. this, that and the other. And to be, as you know yourself, they only need... Like lurches would need, let's say, half an hour in the morning, or you could do just one big walk of 45 minutes, happy. And maybe a couple of times a week, lift off the lead, run around the field, do a figure of eight, back home, sleep on the couch for 23 hours. And have a bit of zoomy time. Susan, I'll leave it there for now because we've gone way over time with this, um, but I have enjoyed our conversation, grim though it has been. Thank you for what you're doing.
for the dogs and we do need more support for dogs and we do need more homes more homes for dogs at the moment I have a full house unfortunately I have two dogs two dogs two cats and a mortgage and that's about as much as I can handle but I know where Susan is coming from 0818 96 96 96 Mick says if everyone who had a dog bought a dog licence there would be a service to take away those bodies I know a lot of people who don't bother with a licence yeah we actually herself that's another one she picks up the television licence bill and she picks up the dog licences and I think she got the dog licences either we got the letter or we got the licences in the last couple of weeks you know you might as well flip it like you might as well if you can afford it 0818 96 96 96 Join the conversation This is the Opinion Line With Hidden Hearing Focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years They're all ears Visit hiddenhearing.ie Cork's 96 FM Yeah, lots of love coming in for Susan Deirdre says, Susan Walsh, you're brilliant um, This isn't an assigned message your num- last two digits of your number are 96, appropriately enough. Heartbreaking, the level of animal abuse in this country. It's sickening. Susan is an amazing advocate for animals, and the wonderful work she does for rescues and sighthounds is amazing. I totally agree with PJ. Once a person harms an animal on purpose, it is the first step to the horrific sociopath behavior in society. Fostering is an amazing experience. Totally recommend it. Take a look if you want to. And you don't believe me. Take a look into the history of any notorious killer, particularly ones who were brutal or statistic, or sadistic rather. And you'll find, in a huge number of those cases, you will find animal abuse in, in their childhood. 0818 96 96 96. Now, totally different subject. I, I said to, to Emer. Jennifer, uh, to make sure that she lets you know that you're, you're preaching to the choir here because none of what you're going to bring up will surprise me at all. Uh, this is Jennifer Horgan, uh, journalist. You've been speaking to some Cork mums and families about their experiences trying to get services for children with additional needs, particularly autism. Morning. Morning, PJ. Thanks for having me on um, and for listening. Um, and I know, I know, I know that you'll. Um, You'll you'll connect with with what I'm saying. It actually not just Cork mums. I suppose I've had I've had parents from elsewhere in the country as well, um, but particularly in the last few weeks, I've had two parents, one from Cork and one elsewhere, um, speaking almost more about the, the in school experience um, with their children in that around behaviour. Um, so there's a continued tension, and I think misunderstanding around behaviour um, and particularly the behaviour of autistic children, mm. whereby children are being punished ultimately um, for their autism. Yeah. Um, um, there's an issue around, you know, the policy itself and the management of the policy in that there's a lack of flexibility and understanding that actually you can't put a child, let's say, in detention for, um, you know, failing to do their homework, let's say, or for having poor organisational skills, when in their, you know, assessment, it says um, they will have issues with organisation, they will be tired after school and might not be able to 
to, mm. you know, complete hours of homework on top of an exhausting day in school, managing social interaction, managing, you know, um, overstimulation in, in, in a very busy classrooms. So th- th- that's, I suppose, a real, I, I just find it very upsetting and well, upsetting what, what, to what hear these What you're talking kind of, about, Jennifer, and um, when I say this, it's, it's often considered to be quite controversial, but I, I don't care. I'm, I'm 25 years living with autism in my home, so I think I've got some level of understanding here. Absolutely. A lot of what you're talking about in terms of kids being punished is down to the ramming of children on the spectrum into mainstream because there's no space for them everywhere else. That's what Absolutely. it comes down and to. Kids, kids yeah. are, being, are being wedged into mainstream because there's nowhere else for them. Yes, and not only are they being wedged into mainstream, and I think actually it can be it can be wonderful um, to oh, have children in mainstream, but they need to be supported. That's the thing. There's a lack of resources. There's a lack of understanding among staff, right up to management. Um, and so this isn't about blaming schools because I, you know, I've been in teaching for twenty years. I've yet to meet. What I, who I would call like a cruel teacher. I've never met one. No. I mean, I'm not saying they don't exist, but teachers are fundamentally there for, for a good reason. But there's a lack of understanding, like basic understanding that actually you can't have the same expectations of an autistic child in a classroom. You just can't. And it doesn't mean they're bad. No. You know, it doesn't mean they're acting out. They are trying to communicate with you. They are trying to tell you something. And unfortunately, if you have a teacher with 30 kids in the classroom and no space, so our, our resources in terms of our building are appalling. We have so many special classrooms that are completely inappropriate. And of course, then you have children reacting to that and trying to tell you this isn't working for me. And, you know, and then we have these school policies that are doing nothing but punishing the child. Yeah. Um, so and it's, I think it's, it's not because just what you get told, Jennifer, schools. is you, you get told in and, and, and the whole mainstream thing. And as I said, I've gotten in trouble with people over this. And I don't care if you have a child who has been rammed into a mainstream class and you know what they might do okay and that's grand but the teacher at the top of the class has to maintain the class for the whole class so if you don't understand Johnny or Mary that they're doing things their way because that's the way they're made and you're trying to discipline you're discipline you're trying to shove them you can't you these kids need their own space their own approach and they need teachers who get it and teachers don't get it they don't have to get it they're not trained to get it they need to be trained to get it like i do believe that every teacher needs to be trained yeah. in special educational needs not just the, not just the teachers in in special classrooms but also i think it's about like the whole classroom the parents of all the kids in that classroom they need to understand that actually it might be the case that their child gets in trouble over something that another child won't get in trouble over because there's an understanding that that child is coming from do you know what i mean it's a whole education mm. of the whole school community like ideally i do think classrooms benefit from having um, a neurodiverse population. I do believe that because we learn from one another and we learn to be understanding and compassionate. So I like the idea of an inclusive model, but that has to come with lower numbers in classrooms, proper resources, access to SNAs, you know, physically appropriate spaces. Not sharing an SNA with another child on the third floor. Well, that's it. SNA is running up, running up and downstairs. Like I see it, it's it's completely bonkers. 
cares? It's completely unmanageable. What's happening now is we've got, you know, kind of um, families and schools fighting with each other, but they're actually both being shortchanged. Mm. It's not us versus them. It's actually we're all not getting the resources and the funding we need. Um, and I just it breaks my heart to think of these children being made to feel, you know, less than um, because of the fact that they're autistic. Mm. Yeah. No, I, if when it works out, it's great. I mean, my, my boy came through primary school. Um, he was in St. Columbus in Douglas and the gaffer down there at the time was Tom Wilkinson um, and Dennis Murphy was there too. They were magnificent. Magnificent. And Brilliant. I remember, I remember talking Brilliant. to Tom and Tom said to me, I don't know anything about autism. That's my fear. And I, I gave him a little bit of advice that was given to me when my lad was only about four if you've met one kid with autism, you've met one kid with autism. That's it. Yes. Wonderful. Yeah. And, and that's exactly right. Yeah. They developed a model in St. Columbus for dealing with autism in the school, which should be a model for every school in the country. And then he went on to, eventually, when he was 15, they, they kept him in school until he was 15 because there was nowhere for him to go. But right. it's, I thought, he's 25 now. And I thought, that I'd be looking at a situation where it was getting better for kids like him. It isn't. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. Yeah, there was, absolutely. There's so much work to be done. Um, and I, I think talking about it is, you know, that's, that's just my hope, just having hear, conversations. And I can hear you getting upset about it, Jennifer. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's hard not to when you're a teacher in school. You know, when I suppose, yeah, I've been working with young people. Um, I'm passionate about it. And I, I just, there are, you know, the, to see our most vulnerable children having to fight the system and parents having to fight the system. And I think it's actually up to people who don't have autistic children to really, to really fight for it because we're not worn out in the way that they are. You know, like I know that they don't have they can't have the energy to go on the radio or to try and, because they're just trying to get through their day. Um, mm. And so it takes whole school communities to actually really fight for the rights of, 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 of children. Um, and to really understand that, you know, 30 children may be sharing a classroom, but each child has a different story. And, mm. and you know, we need the resources to, you're teaching. Them the, you're, you're teaching still. The, the, the pupil teacher ratio. Yeah. They were telling us in Baton Keefe's time, and that's not yesterday, that they would bring it down to seventeen or eighteen. Have they gone anywhere near that? Yeah. No, nowhere near. We're still, I think, like the, one of the worst in Europe for um, our numbers. I think they have made some improvements in primary. Um, yeah. I, I don't know now off the top of my head. There's a slow improvement. I think they've dropped it by a student maybe or something, right. but we still have a huge, a huge way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Then here comes in this comment. It says, listening to this about access to services, it's, it's hard for me to square away cuts in income tax when services are still so, so stretched. Might be just me, says, says Kevin. Absolutely. Maybe, I, you I see, here's the agree. thing, I, I, I always push back a little bit against that, Jennifer, and the reason being, you know, 
as someone who pays a shed load of tax and my wife pays another shed load of tax, you kind of think, spend, spend the money you have better. And True. you could look at a hundred ways to spend the money they have better in the schools. You as a teacher could do it. Me as a parent could do it. Absolutely. And I have to say, I found I'm, I'm finding the whole hoo-ha over Ryan Tuberty a little bit frustrating because there, there are so many ways in which we are misspending. And there's so many like as a teacher, the Department of Education spends two million every year sending out paper, um, what you call it, paychecks. Are they still two doing that? A year. They're, they're only just this year I got an email to say that they're they're trying to move it to digital. Only this year it started to change. I haven't seen, <laughs> Jennifer, I haven't seen a paycheck, an actual pay check. For... PJ, my, my bottom drawer is, 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 it's breaking, you know, all uh, I have are paychecks in there. I haven't Myself seen and my husband one in are teachers. 20 years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm sure it's the same in the health service. People are still going around with paper folders. I mean, we have such inefficiency in terms of our most basic supports. Um, so I'm, you know, that's what we need to focus on. We need to look at exactly, as you say, how we're spending our money. Um, and we have the like lowest spending in education in, in, in the OECD. We have the lowest spending in education. I mean, that's yeah. appalling. Jennifer, thank you. This is something that we, I, I try to give air to every, every so often. I know we're coming into, for example, God, we're only a few weeks away now from, from back to school. And one thing that will come up every year is the kid who can't get a place, the kid who can get a place, yeah. but it's 40 flipping miles away. The kid who is approved yeah. for transport and there's no sign of a driver or no sign of a bus or a taxi. This has been happening every year for donkey's years. Yeah. Yeah. And you know why it is? And I, I've, I've said this as a parent and this is deeply personal. And I think it offends people. And guess what? I don't care. You know, one of the reasons that they don't is my, my boy will never vote. Yeah. And I'm sorry to put it out that personally, Jennifer. My boy will never vote. So they don't care. Oh, I can totally understand you why that? you feel that way and how you feel that way. That's what it feels like. It feels like if you're not, if they're not yeah, interested but in Jesus, your vote. I vote. <laughs> it's a pity I only have one. Yeah. Listen, we'll talk thank you, again. Thank you, PJ, for, for having me. I appreciate it. No, thank you, thank you for a great conversation and, and for the work that you're doing uh, trying to expose this. Thank you very much. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Quartz 96 FM. The Cork Diary. Cork's 96 FM. The annual Ballygarvan Camogie Club Golf Classic takes place on Friday, the 7th of July at Farron Galway Golf Club, Kinsale. Teens of three and tee off time is 12 noon. For more info, check out Ballygarvan Camogie Club on Facebook. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email the details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie. We had a school related email that I will get to, if not today, then before the end of the week, if you've just shelled out a bunch of money or were asked to shell out a bunch of money on presents for teachers. Uh, Not that they don't deserve our thanks, they do. But we had an email from, (laughs) shall we say, a rather uh, bemused dad 
who was shelling out money. Huh? Come back to it. 0818969696. Maeve says, the more I look at mainstream school, the more I think it's a conveyor belt for robots. Everybody must be the same. Also, inclusion regulations in the school policy is only a box-ticking exercise, and it's never implemented. On dogs and on Susan's long conversation with me about dog cruelty, could you ask listeners, I'm in Ballyvolan, and the amount of dogs I hear crying every night, it's really upsetting. Does anybody else hear it? Thanks. Love the show. I don't... I. You're there, not far I take it from the Glen Park and, and other places like that. If you're up around Ballyvalan, uh, and dogs crying at night. Anybody else hearing that? Let us know. Uh, well done to Susan for highlighting the issue in St. Anthony's Park. Residents and employees up there are heartbroken every day seeing what's going on. Some people have just stopped walking up there now as it's so upsetting. Malnourished dogs, dying dogs, dead dogs. We've seen it all. There was a dying dog on the pavement the other day. A group of people took him to a vet, but he died. People have contacted the guy on numerous occasions. Nothing's done. The cruelty is just ignored. Please don't give out my name. Thank you. There's a serious problem up in that neck of the woods. And thank you to Susan for drawing attention to it. It would be lovely to get a result for Mary McCarthy's Irish Dancing School. I normally wouldn't do this. But I have a minute or two on my hands, so I did it at the start of the hour, but just in case you missed it, this is a school of Irish dancing based on the north side of the city. They were representing Cork in Sorrento, in Italy, in a festival, and they got a special award while they were out there, a plaque in a little box. They came home Sunday evening. Their coach left them off outside the Church of Our Lady Crowned in Mayfield, around 20 to 7. And somebody left a bag on the path or on the wall. Can't remember which. And the award was inside in it. They drove back half an hour later to search for it. No sign of bag, no sign of award or anything like that. There were some other gifts inside the bag too. We don't have a description of the bag, but that's okay. They're just wondering if anybody found that bag in or around the wall of the Church of Our Lady Crowned in Mayfield Sunday evening between about 20 to 7 and 7 o'clock and might have taken it for safekeeping and completely forgotten about it. Might have handed it into the sacristy and they forgot about it. Might have handed it into the guy at the station and they forgot about it. So if you were there and you know what I'm talking about, get in touch with us and we'll put you in touch with Mary and the dancing school. 0818 96 96 96. Um... Morris has been on, just throwing this out there for what it's worth, Morris has been on about hate crime. Now, there's a lot of talk about this hate crime bill at the moment, and it's it's um, Helen McEntee, the Minister for Justice, is putting it through, and a lot of controversy about it. Truthfully, I don't know much. I haven't had a proper read of it. It hasn't come across my desk to the point of where I have to read into it. When it does, I will, I promise. So I don't really have a view on it at the moment. But um, regarding the hate crime bill, I think there should be a constitutional referendum because I believe I have two relevant points. This from Morris. I think there are relevant laws to deal with hate incitement as it already stands. Also, I think the inclusion of transgender opinions as an issue for criminal action requires more debate. It's taking us down the road of having globalist policy enshrined in our legislation. Not too sure what you mean by that, Morris. 
Now, if it was a democratic decision by the people after debate, that would be fair enough. I'm not too sure how you equate respect for transgender people with globalism, but I'm sure, Morris, you, you do. And if you want to send me another message, I'll be happy to to take that up with you. On card-only payments, we read one out earlier on from a man who was, or a, a woman who was on the plane with her husband going to Portugal, and he bought coffee, sandwich, whatever, biscuits for them, and he only had cash with which to pay. They only take cards, and when he said he only had cash, they took back everything except the tea and coffee, because they couldn't put that back into the into the pot. Um, Coming back from Spain recently, the man next to me had had his wallet stolen. He only had 10 euro in his pocket, card only on the plane. I paid for his, his cup of tea. Good for you. Yeah, I discovered it last year um, when we were going back on the plane after two years out of the air. You could only, um, you could only get, you can only buy anything on the plane now with, with a card. Don't like that. I do it because I can, but I, I don't like it at all. Um, Michael McGrath, Minister for Finance, has been saying he might legislate. So we are going to bring in uh, rules here through legislation about ensuring that there is an adequate system of access to cash and that people will be allowed to use cash as appropriate. And yesterday, when we put that out there, do people think that should be the case? Then certainly the support for dinner. I never got through all those messages. and The support for the right to use cash if you want to, there was huge support for it. Huge support for that. 0818969696. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Wake up in the Lorraine and Ross in the morning starts July 17th. Test drive the award-winning Skoda Enyaq electric SUV at no DC cars. Skoda sales dealer of the year. Cork's 96 FM. The current temperature is 15 degrees. You're now up to date on the home of the opinion line weekdays from 9 Cork's 96 FM. You think I forgot you, didn't you? You put me off. <laughs> you put me off. It's kind of me job, you know. Yeah. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 9696 96 96 96 96 96 96 You'd, you'd be wondering God will a fella like with Andy, Andy Murray would he win more matches do you know what I mean or fellas with nice simple names like Boris Becker them fellas do you know but I remember this guy he was a Serb he, was he Serb or a, his name was Slobodan Zivovinovich back in the 80s when I was reading sport uh, Slobodan Zivovinovich and we learned that he had a nickname Bobo so we just said well yeah, actually, there you go. I was in school. Not a lot of people know this, as Michael Caine used to say. I sat in school, sat next to, in primary school, Dan Kiley. Dan of Vox Pro and TELUS uh, fame, himself and, and Linda, one of Cork's power business couples. Dan and I 
sat next to each other in school in Creestree long time ago and we were great old pals and we still are to this day. But I saw him on his Instagram yesterday and who is he hobnobbing with? At centre, no, and Dan plays a bit of tennis and he's a mean tennis player. But who is he nob, hobnobbing with yesterday at Wimbledon? Only Roger Flippin Federer. Like, there's the two of them, as if they've known each other since they were boys. At the centre court, in the posh part. And I thought, where did I go wrong? <laughs> oh, 818, 96, 96. Now, the change, of, or the face of Cork, rather, is changing. Uh, it's been changing for many years. And there are fantastic plans afoot to transform the Docklands. It's not the first time we've seen a plan for the Docklands. I remember going to see a model of what would be done there. God, it's a long time ago now. But this new plan for the Docklands will see over 1,300 homes, apartments, duplexes, 658 one-bedroom homes, which we badly need, 465 two-bedroom and 200 three-bedroom. And at a time when we need huge investment in housing, that's an incredible development to take place on the Dockland. Kira O'Neill, or Clara O'Neill, I beg your pardon, is the chairperson for infrastructure at the Cork Business Association. And let's explore this very good news story, Clara. What's the time scale for it? Because we've been talking about developing the Docklands now since I was a child. Morning. Hi, PJ. How are you doing? Um, yeah, I suppose you're right. The first plan I remember was around 2000 when that um, master plan designed by, I think there was a few Norman Foster Towers involved. That's right. That's and everything, right. it was very ambitious at the time. So um, I think we're definitely after scaling back in terms of ambition, but certainly not in terms of um, the huge opportunity that the Docklands development will present from Cor- for Cork in the future. And this, de- this planning application that has been lodged Certainly, because it's of uh, because of the nature of it in terms of it being for residential development is hugely important. I suppose what we've seen um, kind of initiating the Docklands development up until now, which was great, are all office developments. You had it kind of started over on the Western element with one Albert Key and then Navigation House mm. and um, across the North Docks with um, HQ and Penrose Dock, but they're yeah. all largely office developments. And I, I understand there's around 6,000 people working in those developments currently. So that's 6,000 desk spaces, but I suppose there's been no bed spaces provided mm. um, as of yet in, in the Docklands developments. So I think... This planning application lodged by um, O'Callaghan Properties um, will be hugely transformative in terms of bringing much-needed residential development to the Docklands area and the city centre in general. Um, I think the timescale is earmarked to begin mid-2024, but um, it's hugely contingent upon... As you probably are aware, it's actually um, the planning application has been lodged for the 7.5 hectare site of the current Gouldings fertilizer plant, yeah, um, which is currently fully operational. So, and I suppose it, unless there is 
um, coherent plans in place to move Gouldings, then the timescale will be fully dependent on that. So you probably are aware there is a planning application um, for Gouldings to move out to the former IFI yeah. site on Marino Point. Aware of that. Coast. It's slow moving, but it's and there. Yeah. Well, it's currently at appeal stage on board Panola. There was two appeals made. Um, one by people in Passage West, as far as I'm aware, and the other in relation to concerns over the in- infrastructural capacity of the Bell Valley Bridge to, um, I suppose... Which we were only talking about that this that morning. ...for that level yeah. of intensification. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. There was an accident there yesterday, which That's meant right. that there was um, issues, yeah. So I guess it's a great news story in terms of the, the commitment in term from um, O'Callaghan Properties to delivering these mm. residential units. Um, but I suppose it will need a lot of, um, I suppose, national level interference in terms of commitment to actually delivering development in the Docklands will be fully reliant on good yeah. things moving. And that would probably need national level support in terms Taking of off, okay. addressing those potential concerns. You I mentioned, mean, you mentioned one Albert Key, uh, and I, I pass mm-hmm. it frequently. Um, mm-hmm. both driving and on foot but I, I, I pass it frequently and I think what a magnificent building and I think um, just imagine when I read about this just imagine buildings of that quality and standard down along the Docklands for people to live in it would be magnificent Yeah that's exactly it I think there's 10 buildings proposed as part of this particular development up to 14 stories in height now, at the time when one Albert Key was built, I think it was Ireland's smartest building, but now nearly just because of, I suppose, um, green energy targets and everything, all of the buildings are being built to this LED standard. And yeah, you're right. <clears throat> it really would be absolutely fantastic. I mean, we're a bit slow to the to the party in a way because like Dublin Docklands has been realising this potential it for has. a long time. It has. And it I has. guess Cork... You know, traditionally as a port side city anyway, port activities are were so integral to the history of Cork, but um, we've outgrown that now and yeah. the movement of the port facilities out to Ring Skiddy is really important and that yeah, will help to hopefully realise not only this application, but, but many others after it. You're so right about the Dublin Docklands. The last time I was up, and it's a year or two ago, God, I think it's, it's last year actually, I was up at uh, the Three Arena for an event. And just the amount of building that is going on up there. It's, they're building that was going out of fashion. And it's great to see. Yeah, it is. I suppose the at a national level now, planners are realising, though, that, you know, it's not very possible to, to put any more development in Dublin and have mm. sustainable modes of transport. No, that's what I mean here. Or, Clara, we so we, we need to have that standard down here. We need to get get moving that quickly down here. As a, Definitely, and we have know. the opportunities along the rail line. There's loads of space for 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 housing to be built within, you know, fifteen to half an hour commute, which doesn't exist anywhere else in Ireland, nearly. So yeah. there's huge opportunities there. So and I take it there would be. You mentioned it from a CBA perspective. Sorry to cut Sorry. across you. The line isn't the greatest. I, I imagine that within this project of O'Callaghan Properties, working in along with that would be public transport because. A residential development of that size would need public transport going right down into the heart of it. Yeah, so um, as far as I know, there is, um, well, I suppose I know definitely there's, I think, around 600 
100 million euro um, allocated to be um, to enforce a LRT or light rail transport yeah. system um, in Cork City. I think they're at final route selection process at the moment. And I, as far as I know, that will go from Ballancolic in the west through the city centre, through the Docklands and down to Mahan. So, um, as you say, it will take a critical mass of population to support that. So it probably will be a little, it, as far as I know, it will start in the west because there is more population in terms of out in the Ballancolic sides, the universities and all of that. It makes sense for it to start over there. And yes. hopefully by the time it, it travels eastwards, there will be that level of, of population in place to subsist. Sustain and support that huge public transport and investment. Exciting times ahead and positive times ahead. And there is a lot of negativity out there every day, but it's nice to cover something positive. And one thing I'll say, as long as I'm watching them, and Owen is no longer with us now, man I was very fond of, Owen is no longer with us, but when O'Callaghan properties say they'll do something, they deliver on it. So we look forward to watching the Duckland develop over the next few years. Um, it's not for Clara to answer this question, so I didn't ask it of her. You just wonder where the marquee's going to go, don't you? We'll have them next year. They've said that. They'll be back next year to the usual place. But where are they going to go after that? Because it'll be fantastic to have the development down there and they'll have retail and everything to go with it. But where's the, where's the marquee going to go? Oh eight one eight. do not mention the event centre. Don't mention the war. There's a picture on the paper this morning actually of the event centre remember when they turned the first sod was it end of Kenny back in was it 2016 during the election campaign and end of Kenny went down and they gave him a, a shovel and, and he he, um, he turned a sod and tossed it in the air and they took lovely photographs for the newspapers I don't think we've seen a second sod tossed have we 0818969696 Speaking of parts of Cork the, I came across this a couple of weeks ago and it's in your Echo today and I mentioned it yesterday because Patrick's Hill is now closed the bottom half of it while they complete this latest project of theirs for another footpath There's the picture That's right, there's the picture Stupid looking photograph of Big clod of earth been tossed up in the air and a lot of people laughing at it. It was nice though. Yeah. But uh, they're putting another p- pavement wide enough to play a match on at the bottom of Patrick's Hill and, and all this other stuff. But they found, didn't find it, it was always there, this stone. So if you can imagine part of the old pavement and carved into it, it had a mark a sign that had been there since so long. I'd seen it because Park on Patrick's Hill, no Patrick's Hill well. It's called a benchmark. And they're a very historical piece of history, according to a man called Tony McGrath, who runs a heritage site called Reading the Signs. It looks like the old mathematical sign pie was carved into the pavement, but it wasn't just there for the good of its health. It was there because it was there for a very specific reason in a very specific place, serving a very specific purpose in history. And when they found it and dug it out, I said, that has to go back exactly where it was. I don't care how you put it into the new footpath that will be wide enough to play a match on. I don't care how you do it, but that little stone has to go back 
in the exact place. And if not, I'll, I'll, I'll lead the protest march myself. It's a unique part of our Cork heritage. I don't know what they were for. I haven't got the brain power to understand what they were for. But they're ancient. They're older than myself and older than all of us. And it should it has to go back to where it came from. That was the twelfth my God. The twelfth of February twenty sixteen. It'll be seven years eight years next February. Twelfth of February seven twenty sixteen. There's is that that is is, is that Enda Kenny? It well it was Enda Kenny. Simon, was Simon Coveney there? Simon Coveney was there, was he? He was. Who else was in that picture? That could, well, that wasn't Joan Burton, was it? In the picture? Tossing a sod down at the event centre. It's not there yet, but it's getting there, or so they tell us. 0818 96 96 96 Join the conversation This is the Opinion Line With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology They're all ears, visit hiddenhearing.ie Corks 96 FM Corks 96 FM presents the Live Wild Podcast with Hilary Rose at Cork Opera House Saturday, July 22nd Join Hilary live in conversation with her co-stars from the smash hit TV show The Young Offenders, bringing you behind the curtain of the multi-award winning TV series and movie. All week long, Simon Murdoch is giving away tickets to get you to the show. Stay listening from midday to win. Live Wild's first live event in conversation with the cast of The Young Offenders, Saturday, July 22nd at Cork Opera House with Cork's 96FM. Talk with Susan earlier on this morning about the uh, dog cruelty and dog neglect up in St. Joseph's Park in she she spoke about lurchers and her her love of lurchers and she has a lurcher that she fostered and then kept and I mentioned my own daughter has a, a weakness for lurchers um, and Dave you've been keeping them for for how long Good morning Morning PJ How are you keeping Good How long have you been keeping lurchers I'm keeping lurchers since I'm eight years old PJ Right and I'm forty uh, three now. And people mistake them for greyhounds and therefore think they're half dangerous, correct? Not people's persona, really, I suppose, that greyhounds and lutchers, that uh, we're not all bad people, like, you know. Mm. It's embarrassing there in the evening when you're out walking. I keep four lutchers at the moment and people cross the road and turn around. Do they? Do you know, um, it's like 99.9% of people that keep all sorts of dogs were all good, were good people and it's just the one tiny percent that give everyone a bad name. And why do people think that because you keep lurchers it's a bad thing? Why, why do people think that, do you know? I suppose the stories you've heard over the past PJ, you've had them on there yourself about the housing estates up in town, young lads killing pets and all, all the rest of them. Yeah. I suppose one time it was Rottweilers in the move to the pit bulls and it's kind of shifting to lutchers and hunting dogs a bit now I think yeah you know and uh, I just don't like hearing lutchers and cats being put in the same no no any no. dog will chase a cat correct go back to Tom and Jerry show <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know what I mean it's just bad people aren't looking after them right mm. and uh, it's just it just it just touched the button, really, when she mentioned that yes, it's as if all because a lutcher isn't coming from a rescue home or he's not walking around with a fancy 
pink jacket on him and a nice collar lead that a scumbag owns him, you know? I'm told that they're pure old slobs, Dave. They're pure pets, PJ. Pure pets. And at the end of the day, a lutcher, they're a mongrel because there might be three or four different breeds of dog in the lutcher. Yeah. And they're the most healthiest dog in the world. They never get sick. Right. What what age do they live to? Oh, they could live 16, 17. You're joking me. They do. They'd live forever, right? Wow. Forever. My last, my oldest fellow was about 18 years old. 18? Yeah. Be great. He would have been the grandfather, what I have now, and I've had my dogs now, they're great grandparents, like, you know what I mean? So people that keep looking. He'd have been 136 in man years, or close to it. Fair age. He would have got a fair lump of the pinch in one day. Yeah, the old, the old president would have been writing to him. <laughs> well, that's just like the front of the at that point, PJ. Yeah. No, I'm glad you did, because as I said now, my, my, my daughter is weak for lurchers and one of her friends had one and she was taking it for a walk she just loved the thing yeah. and I remember saying it to her I said they're not the they're not the, the, you'd, you'd be you'd be mistaken for thinking if you see a lurcher wandering around on its own without a lead on it you'd be or, 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 or a muzzle you'd be mistaken for thinking it was a savage thing that'd take the leg off you you would and Perfect. she said they'd lick you to death dad Susan actually said it that's why at home they're bred to run they yeah. will chase absolutely anything for the class. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that's what bothered people. I remember talking to Vincent down at the CSPCA about that when people were, little young thugs were training them to chase kittens. Lurchers love a chase. They, 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 chase. they love a chase. But if a Chris bag blew across the, the, the hurling pitch, they killed themselves to get after it. Yeah. And I can understand how that would be very frightening to someone to see something like that running at you. I yeah. did it myself. Yeah. But, you know, that's why they need, they need careful handling too, PJ, you see. Yeah, yeah. Handling. That's why I just wanted to make that point, that's all. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm delighted that you did. I, I saw a fellow out one day with a lurcher, actually. This is, God, this is a year or two ago now. Out on a, on a hurling pitch, right? Yeah. And he had a tennis ball. And I watched this for 10 minutes. This is down West Cork. And, I, about ten, and it was, he was just launching this tennis ball into the air. And the lurcher, time and time and time and time again. God, if you could put a hurley in his hand, he'd be the greatest fielder ever played the game. Unreal. He never missed it. Yeah. Never caught it in his mouth time after time after time again before it hit the ground. After time. And a normal person, Pete, would stop after maybe four or five times. Yeah. But if you hit that ball a hundred times, that dog will hunt it a hundred times. He'll chase that ball until he gets a heart attack. <laughs> and then sleep for the night. <laughs> or drop dead. And he can walk. That's what happens. People overwork them, overrun them. Yeah. They have a heart attack. They take the leading collar off him and they throw him into the ditch and walk ah, him. That's, that's horrible. That's like horrible. that dog up in Nakahini, very long That's horrible. Dave, thank you very much for that call. A uh, lot of... They're, they're, they're a... How shall we put this? They're a misjudged breed of dog. Very misjudged breed of dog at the lurcher. 0818 96 96 96. Now, it's a few years since I went to the Gaeltacht. I'm not even going to tell you how many years it is since I went to Fjohanach uh, down in the Kerry Gaeltacht. And we loved it. Um, what was this? Her name was Banny Corcoran, I think, was our banatee the time. She was a tough old dear. Oh, gosh, she was great. She fed us well. She fed us well. But by God, we had to behave ourselves. Oh! <gasps> 
Never forget it. Never forget it. But there's a shortage of them now. Um, Kevin McCann is manager of Colostra Pobo Clara down in West Cork. And there's a shortage of people to take students in as Ben or Far a tea. Now, Kevin, I know before we talk about this, you want to mention the awful tragedy on Elon Clara at the weekend. Yeah, I just like to offer my condolences um, for my, my from myself and behalf of everyone here on Cape Clear to the family of the man who died in such tragic circumstances yeah. this weekend. Yeah, it really just shows you the frailty and the of life and indeed. And I know my my, my wife has friends who were over there for the weekend mm. and they were calling her and texting her on Saturday night. Said this tragedy had happened and the whole place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's touched everyone here. Yeah. It's a place where people... Do they still go there to study Irish for the summer? They do indeed. We had a, a bit of a gap there with uh, COVID. That, that put a sort of a kibosh on on the college for a couple of years. And we've, we've just... This, is a, this summer now is just our first um, uh, first start since, since COVID. So we had two courses this year. We're in the middle of the second course. Mm. And uh, that'll be running for another week. Mm. So... Mm. And there's a shortage of There has been. People. I mean, it's, it's not something that happened, like, dramatically. It's, it's something that has happened everywhere over a, a, a long period of time. I suppose it's, there's, like everything, there's many factors as to why, why it has happened. I think it's a societal change in, in a lot of respects. That, that um, people, um, not so many people stay at home now. Uh, most people are out going out working and stuff, so that's a societal change. Um, on the island itself, over here, like there's a, the, our demographic is an aging one, mm. um, and that's also part of you know it's a, it's a it's a gradual process, but it it also has a feed into the uh, the people who are available to work as or act as balantees. How many students would you take in at a time? At this time, we're taking in um, somewhere around thirty. Right. So we'd have fifteen, basically fifteen boys and fifteen girls on okay. each each course. And and how many people would stay then in any particular? So there's one band and see. So we uh, the co-op here provide accommodation for the for the boys. This this time we've been providing accommodation for the boys. So we have a a building. We employ someone to act as band and see. So there is a vanity there, but it's 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 not their home. But they, they it's it's run as if it was their home. It's they they provide the meals the same way as you would have experienced it when you were at the Goyalsacht. Yeah. Um. You know, you're coming in and you're sitting down and you're having your meals and you're you're inter you know you're interacting with the people in the in the in the house and stuff. And yeah. It's all oh. done through Irish. <laughs> we we put on weight. So we did. <laughs> we, but I've got them. And I'd come home then and my poor mother would be frustrated because I was eating the spuds for three people. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. God, yeah. were we fed. God, were we fed. Yeah. yeah. So then, and then the, the girls this year, there was the, that they would be in that sort of, that situation that you'd be familiar with there, where there was a Ballantine. So. Yeah, there was, eight, I think there was eight of us staying in her house and there was like, on that particular group, there was... There was thirty of us went down yeah. from the school, yeah. and we were all divided in four, four or five or, or six houses. Some with four, some with eight, some with. But is this all one place that they stay in? Yeah. Well, they, well, the girls would be in one place, and the boys would be in another. Of course, they would. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. They, <laughs> yeah that, some things don't change. No, that doesn't change. <laughs> yeah, although we had, I'm laughing now. We had Shamie Langford to rest him. Used to drive the bus. Late at night, the school bus used to be parked down behind the little community centre in, in Fiohanach. And Shamie Langford would take the bus out late at night with the lights on to see to when see. we were cycling home 
where we gone the wrong direction. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it was, I mean, we all, I think, you know, like if you talk to most people, must have had that experience of, of the Irish colleges. They were, it was like I said in the, when I was, uh, you know, I mean, that it, it was almost like a rite of passage. We, yeah. You know, I, th- I know all my friends went, I went, I went to Connemara. Mm. Um, but yes, it was a... We, we, we. And they're still having they're still the crack they always still, do. Yeah, there still is. There is an awful lot more on offer to to youngsters these days. And is it what it used to be? With us, it was kind of you did a class in the morning, you had an activity in the afternoon, that's, you might be climbing or playing that's games, it, yeah, and that's, a KLE by night. That's it. That's it's it, it, that's more or less it. The activities would be the same thing. I think it starts at ten o'clock, and then in the afternoon there would be activities. There's uh, visiting islands. There's canoeing. There's you know. Mm. Um, I think they, they did a Fastnet trip. They went out to the Fastnet Rock. Fabulous. Um, so yeah, and then there's the Cayley at night, and so mm. not 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 much has changed really in that in that respect now. Yes. And are you looking for people to get to, to, to get involved as Bannon T? Well, I mean, actively looking. We, we, if if someone was to say, yeah, they do it. Yes, of course we would. Um, uh, it's it's just it, it it you know like I said, it's, it's it's something that has changed gradually as you know people. I think when I came here. I'm on the island, I say, 30 years. Mm. And when I came here first, I'd say there was about eight or nine yeah. people who were Bannantees, uh, in that traditional sense that you, 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 you know, that you experienced. Um, and then just gradually it is, you know, because of their own personal circumstances or they've, they've you know, stopped taking students. So we're, we're, at this stage we're down. Uh, we have one, like, one um, family who's, it's run like that. And then we, like I said, the co-op here, we provide the accommodation and employ people to act as the Bannantee. Um, so yeah. that's that's the way we run it now. Yeah. Well, continued success. With Thank you. Uh, and it is it's still a great experience for kids. I mean, it's still it's it's still a it's still a bit of fun, and it's still um, you know it's 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 part of growing up that Irish experience of growing up. How do, how would if someone wanted to get involved and give it a go? How would they sign up? Well, that's that's just they contact the college and stuff. Um, that the, there's the, the college that we run. Colossia Public Clara. Yeah. All yeah, right. yeah. Kevin, great speaking with it's you. All right, thanks, Peter. Uh, how's the weather down there today? Oh, it's fabulous. It's yeah. always fabulous on Cape Clare. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I remember speaking to. Do you know what? Uh, what's his name? Ed. Ed the Harper. goat farmer, yeah. yeah. I remember talking to him during Ophelia. It wasn't too great over there then. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> How many people are living there now? Well, that, well, we we reckon around 120. That's, really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, and give give my regards to Ed actually if you've seen him. I will because we haven't heard he's a great occasional caller to the show and a great contribution to make. Yeah, yeah. All right, listen, thank you very oh, much. Thank you very much. Slán, Slán, Kevin McCann, manager of Colostra Pubble Clara in Cape Clear. It's a long time since I was in Cape Clear, and in the context of of, of that tragedy of the weekend, um, I was thinking about about my time down there. We went down. When I was in college, we went down there for a couple of weekends after after first year. 120 people living there now. But the Grail talked, oh, for goodness sake, Fionach we used to go to in uh, Kerry, about seven miles from Dingle. Uh, you'd go out, you'd, you could follow the road out towards Fionach, Moriach, and... and um, Oh God, Binding Owl was another one out there, and you'd Owl. The, it was just brilliant. I remember going back there years ago. We were in Kerry 
for for a holiday. 2012, actually, we stayed in Kerry for holidays. And uh, we drove down. And the one thing I remember was getting down to the community centre in Fjohanach. And the little shuppa across the road was still there, probably under different ownership now. And then we drove up to where our house had been. Ben, was it Benny Corcoran or Benny? I can't remember. Benny something anyway. Um, And I was thinking to myself, when we were down here as kids, this was huge. The the community centre was huge. It was tiny. And a little pitch out the back. I always remember it. Remember the girls when we used to go down there. I'd love your stories, if you can remember being at the Grail Talked. What it was like. They were they were happy days, you know. They were happy, happy, fun filled days. I can still remember the songs that were in the charts when I was on holidays in the Grail Talked. I know how sad that is. <laughs> I can know. I won't tell you because I'll age myself something desperate. But I can remember. The girls were from Limerick. And we used to have a Kaylee at night and the girls would come in one door and we'd come in another door and we sat on one side of the hall and the, I was so sad and the girls sat on the other side of the hall and Shamie Langford would set up the sound system which the, the sound system when I think back was a cassette player with a load of trad on cassette and he'd stick a microphone down on top of it and would come out on the sound system in the hall. It was so awful, the sound was. But we, well, we, we were a drinker. We were a drinker for the night. And we did the four face and four and the five face and five and the the Kuiper Coulard. I'll never forget the bloody Kuiper Coulard. It would take, you were there for nearly three weeks. It would take you two weeks to learn it. You dance it properly once and then you went home. I'll never forget it. <laughs> and yeah, did you make, I remember there was a, I, remember, I remember God we were kids I remember there was a girl from Limerick who caught my eye and I caught hers thankfully and like stop it we were 14 and sure it never went anywhere but I remember her name to this day her name was Cloda and, and we were we just became great pals for the couple of weeks that we were there in Fiona in the Grail in 1900 and frozen to death what do you remember? Did you go? Did you go to the Grail Tucked? If you went, if you went to Cloister Cray Street, the chances are you almost certainly did go to the Grail Tucked. And Shamie Langford was down there. And, and, and Big Jim Kremen was down there. And Martino Fahig was, are they all gone now? Well, Big Jim passed away. Martin died. And is Shamie Langford gone to his eternal reward as well? Did you meet? I mean, as I said, Claude caught my eye and I caught hers and we were friendly enough for the couple of weeks. And I think we met a second time when I went back there again and she went back there again. Never led to anything. But um, did you ever meet anybody at the Gweltucht? And did anything ever grow out of it? Someone says here, what does friendly enough mean? Stop it now. All I'll say is we were 14. And, well, Shamey was out late at night with the bus, uh, with the lights on in the bus, and he'd throw you into the back of the bus and drive you back to your house. So we were never caught. Shall we say? Stop it now. Behave. We had a message in for the Cross River Ferry people. Remember we started this morning, and you'll hear it all back on podcast later this afternoon. 
we put that up pretty much up around half past 12, the whole discussion from the first hour. You'll be able to hear it again. When the accident on Bell Valley Bridge and the ferry, obviously, overrun with people trying to get in another way. And I was asking whether there was a second boat, what the story is with the second barge. Across River Ferry people, Doyle Shipping were in touch to say, with regard to the unfortunate serious accident at Belvelli Bridge yesterday, we were not in a position to provide a second ferry to accommodate additional traffic. The second ferry is currently in dry dock for annual maintenance and certification. Regards, Cross River Ferry. Thank you for that. I'm greatly appreciative of that. The question I was actually, do they still put on two boats? at busy times or is that something that's in my imagination because I seem to remember it being the case in the early days of the ferry well, it's good to know they still have two but there wasn't the second one available yesterday because it's in dry dock as it has to be from time to time 0818 my sister has two autistic children. They adopted a rescue greyhound a year ago. She's the most beautiful dog, so placid and gentle. They take her for a 20-minute walk twice a day, and every so often they let her have a run in a field or on a beach at the weekend, an empty beach. That's an incredible sight to see her. Then she curls up with whoever wants a cuddle. They're, we're on a waiting list for an autism assistance dog for years and never got anywhere. Best decision they ever made was getting the greyhound. The only regret not getting her sooner. Yeah. 0818 96 96 96 Traffic update for you. There are very heavy, slow-moving traffic inbound the New Mallow Road from the Commons Inn to Blackpool Shopping Centre. There are roadworks down to one lane. Major traffic delays and tailbacks along Commons Road. Yeah, I was there, I was passing along there one night recently and there was road work going on. And you know what else there's road works? I don't know if they're still there, but they're a pain in the neck. They're between Mallow, just as you pass the, the big garage there. You know the garage on the outskirts of Mallow? It has a supermax and, and a big supermarket and all those in it. Between there and New Two Potters, they've been doing something with the road for the last couple of months. And it's a pain in the arse because they have the fella there standing, standing with the club. Go, stop, go. Poor, he's, I hope they're paying him huge money because that's been the most boring job in Ireland. Stop, go, stop, go. I wish they'd get finished with it though because they're paying the neck. 0818 96 96 96. Two stories of the Gwaeltocht. Ian, how are you? How things, how things, Richard? Good. Where did you go? Uh, Cape. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. When, when, would, have, when would it have been? Uh, 86, 88. Right, right. That's a dead. Great times, like I made a lot of good friends down there. I'm still in contact with one or two. You're joking. And uh, is it, uh, I, if you're going down there tomorrow now for a few days, Aldous. Really? Yeah. Like yeah. I, I know most of the islanders now, whatever, look over the last 30 odd plus years. Yeah. Is it then? It's a lovely place if the weather is, uh, if the weather is good. Yeah. The, the, there was a photograph. Now, unfortunately, it was accompanying that tragic story from the weekend. Yes, but there was yes, a photograph sorry. taken either from a drone or from up by Club Clara. I can't figure out which. Of the harbour on a summer's day, my God, you wouldn't get it in Spain. Yes, yes. Last summer, no, I spent a, a week down there down during that 
this sunny spell we got there at the start of July last year, mm. and it was absolutely glorious down there. Like, yeah, where do you where do you stay? I have a friend as a host on the island. He's he's an he's built a host down there years ago. Right, uh, Jeff Jeff Oliver. So. When he's on the mainland, he might stay with me for a night or two, and I drink him then. And can I say, look, I want to come down for a weekend or a couple of days? And he says, you know where the you know where the key is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's uh, it's a long time since I was the late eighties was the last time I was down on the mm-hmm. Cape. I'm, I'm half thinking of going over there on the ferry in September when I go down west for a weekend. I'm half thinking. Has it changed much since you were there for the Grand Tour? It has a bit. Like is it? You know. A lot of the older people though obviously have died off, unfortunately. Yeah. Like when I started going there in the eighties, Irish was spoken a lot more. Yeah. Is it? Uh, you know, you'd hear it on a regular basis. You still hear it, but not as much because obviously younger people have moved off the island. Yeah. You know, older people have died off, but you still hear it. Like it's at uh, you know a, a lot of times, but not as much. Yeah. But um, you know, it's it's still great, and I I can remember when you mentioned there now about the. To walk of shame across the uh, the Cayley floor, you know, the girls on one uh, side and the boys on the other, like it's, 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 and if somebody if somebody said no to you, like it's at the, <gasps> you know, you had to walk back again, like oh, you know. Oh God, which you're hoping you can put your head down in your legs and let it there. Oh, I know. Yes, yes, yes. I know. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember Cotters? Is Cotters yes, still there? Cotters is still there. Is it? Uh, yeah. Is it? And uh, the club, the pub above the, the shop in the harbour. Yeah, that's still there. The little pub, uh, and th- I remember going in there one time, and he used to do. He, they used to do um, brown bread with freshly baked brown bread with butter and crab meat, yes. and we thought yes, yes. we we thought we were elected. Yes, yeah. If it, you know, the, the shop is still going, and the, you know those yes. pizzas there on Friday night, like oh, it's oh, there's posh. Yes, is it then lovely pizzas, like seafood pizzas, no work, kind of whatever, like, you know, is it then... I, uh, I remember asking someone at the bar there, I don't know whether it was Mr. Cotter himself or someone, I remember asking down there, and I, look, I won't put a tooth in it, I had a few pints on me, it was late one night, and I said, when when did the pub close? He said, yes. September. Yes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> is it, uh, that's the thing, if you are going down now, is it, for a few days, you're better off going at the weekend in September, because things die down after the the, the, yeah. the summer. No, but so what he meant say, was what he meant was like not any time soon unless we see the yes, guards coming yes. off the boat. Do you know what I mean? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Do and they still have lovely... do they still have the Beatles? No, I think there might be one or two parked up kind of in somebody's shed. Like is it was, is it no? Is it every couple of years there's an influx of new cars? Like is it? Oh, well, you know they wouldn't be new, but is it? Uh, I think there is one or two Beatles kind of packed up, but I, they're not moving at the moment anyway, like, you know. The funniest thing I ever saw, and you probably saw it in your Greltuck days down there, was there was loads of them there. And one of the reasons, yeah. there was two reasons. One, because the engine was in the back and could yeah. handle the hills. Handle the hills. The second reason was they were about the only thing you could take down there that wouldn't rust to sugar in yes. in, in six months. And there, yes. was, <laughs> there was a little green one. And we used to sit outside Cotter's watching Mm-hmm. And he'd be bringing, he might be bringing supplies up. So he'd come to the shop, right? And he'd yes. fill up the back of the car. He only had the one seat in the car. He'd bring the back, fill up the back of the car with supplies. And then he'd go up the small hill by cutters, yes. right? Yes. And he'd rev the car into the ground and take off like a fella on an aircraft carrier to try to make the hill to get up towards Club Care. It was the funniest thing I ever saw. Yes, and the people people still have to do that, but <laughs> older cars or whatever, you take a, a good run from the harbour up, you know, and, and hoping that nobody's coming down the other direction. And I'm amazed that you still you still have friends you made down there, Ian. 
Yes, it's a one in particular. Is that uh, he's from Balfihan? Is that uh, be one of my best friends? Is that um, we meet every couple of weeks or whatever for, for a few pints? And very good. We only well, found out years later that his mother and my mother were good friends. And where were you in school? Uh, Brian was in Tumor Road, mm-hmm. and I was in um, Salmon Street. Oh, very good, Craig. I tell you, they're they're mar- they're marvelous memories, and it's amazing. I would still. I wouldn't be in contact with them, but yeah, I remember the gang I went away down with in Christry. Do you know, if you met them now, you'd wonder, God, where have I we been for the last 40 years? Like, There's friends of mine now every every Easter weekend, like we're all scattered all over the country, like, and every Easter weekend, we try and meet in Cape for the couple of days or whatever, like for the last 25, 25, 30 years, like, you know, everybody's kids now, whatever, like, and we all try to, you know, make it down, whatever, Oh, Whatever's so you, happening. You felt totally in love with the place. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. You know, if if I could afford it, I'd love a house there. But, uh, you know, it's nice to get down for, for the weekend, you know, or maybe yeah. a week, every so often, like I said. And God willing, I'll be going down for another good few years yet. Like, Do you know Ed Harper? I do, I know. I know Ed very well. Do you? Uh, you know, I often have a pint with him if there's a session in the uh, in the club, if oh, he's down there, well, like well, I said. Uh, and you're, and heading, you're heading down there soon, are you? I'm heading down in the morning now until Monday. Give him my personal regards if you see him. I will indeed. I'll make a, I'll make a point of calling into him. Ah, brilliant. Ian, great talking to you. Fabulous no memories. No problem at all, Thanks for chatting. Cheers, Bye-bye. cheers, cheers. My, my, um, oh, my regards to everyone in Cape Clear. A beautiful place, beset by tragedy at the weekend and our thoughts with the, the family and anyone who knew that misfortunate individual. But a gorgeous place. I, I think my mind is made up now, even though Queen Bee will be it'll be very 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 based on on sea conditions <laughs> but I'm very determined now that if I can I'll take the trip over from Baltimore in September and go over to Cape I haven't been there in years I haven't been there in years and I think it's worth it for a pint in Cotters three happy summers down in Ventry beautiful memories of those lovely summers my Irish did improve and I met some great friends that was 75 76 and 77 yeah. Gabriel Rosenstock, really? Was one of our teachers in 76. What a character. Thanks, PJ. I'm thinking now of those lovely summers as you talk about your time in the Grail Tucked many moons ago from Mary in Dublin Hill. Yeah, sometimes we like to throw our minds back. You know what? We were probably wrong and we're probably all romantic about how wonderful it was back then when maybe it wasn't so great. But isn't it nice to remember too? That's it. That's it, we're done. Programme edited by Imro Hay, produced and researched by Richard Vickery. Thank you for joining the conversation in whatever way you did. We'll talk to you again tomorrow, just after nine. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Coach 96 FM.